Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's amazing share with Coach Menachem Bernfeld and Let's Get Real team. Appreciate you all coming here on a Sunday night. Erev Purim, it's the Sunday before Purim, and uh, tonight's year is year number 95. First, I want to start off, you know, thanking everybody uh, for this amazing program that's been uh, exploding, and obviously it's exploded already many, many times, but I just say it every week, and um, I, thank, I want to thank, it's all from the people that come every week, and they post it on their WhatsApp statuses, they email to their friends, tell people about it, so uh, Baruch Hashem, it's all, as I say, we say, it's grassroots, this is we're doing it together as, as a chabura of people. So Baruch Hashem, it's growing and uh, Baruch Baruch Hashem. Okay, so let's first start off again. If anybody wants to be part of the WhatsApp, every Sunday I send out the, the flyers to everybody on my on my uh, phone. So you can please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Save my number on the phone and every Sunday I will send you Hashem the flyer. And if you want to sign up to Menachem's emails, he sends out a, two emails a week, usually. One is for the Shia, usually Thursday or Arab Shab or Sunday, and then the replay of the thing. So go to menachemburnfall.com. For all those people that are watching this later on YouTube, please click on, please click on the like button for the Shia and the subscribe, subscribe button for Coach Menachem. So me and Coach Menachem, as we say every week, can make millions of dollars from all you subscribers. Again, for anybody, uh, let's say thank you to all the advertising. Okay, I'm sorry, the cameras are a little confusing. Uh, for all the people, I want to say thank you to all the advertising sponsors that promote us, you know, digitally, the Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood. Special thank you to Rabbi Yaniv Chazak for promoting us on the Chazak channels. If you have more information, go to chazak.org. A special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCM for the Jewish Content Network for always promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. Again, the Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health, supporting the Jewish community. OK Clarity, you can find the best on okclarity.com. You can find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, Engage in forums and stay inspired. Links will be sent out with Menachem's recap email after the share. Again, for all that don't even know, or maybe Rabbi Bloom doesn't know, or maybe Mrs. Flo doesn't know, all the shirim we're working on, putting together a book. So since you're share 95, we are doing uh, share one through 40, book one, and share 41 to 80, book two. And um, we're in the middle of putting it together. So when we come out book three, this will be transcribed into a book. So looking forward to anybody Menachem will send that information. He's trying to get some money to help uh, put it together. It's expensive to have it re, re, you know, rewritten and everything. But it's going to be published by Feldheim. So Menachem will send out links to if people want to join, maybe sponsor, share, or help you know, rewrite it. He will send out the information. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 Eastern time on this Zoom ID, we have different topics we talk about, the different bottom, different therapists, different important people that come. And we really, uh, it's really an amazing, amazing thing. Next Sunday, right after Purim, Sunday, March 20th, we have an amazing share. It's actually the third time he's coming on. He's a good friend of me and Menachem's, Matas Miller. He's a big Lakewood uh, therapist over here. He's going to be hyper-focusing on one, this, uh, one thing, which is important to really understand. He's talking about borderline personality disorder, BPD, understanding it and healing together. It's a, it's a big subject. The word gets thrown around a lot. We're really going to get into it and really take it to the next level. It should be powerful, meaningful. If you know anybody that can benefit from the program, please tell them, definitely come next week. Tonight, we have the discuss and honor of having world-famous Rebelezer Bloom here from Hollywood, Florida. While we freeze here in New York, New Jersey, he's there in the 85-degree weather. We appreciate that, and thank you for coming on. And he came on together with Mrs. Polina Flug, which I'll 
plug, which I'll get into in a second. Um, again, I say, uh, let's open up with opening words with Coach Menachem. Coach Menachem, what are we talking about tonight? Let's go, open it up. Thank you very much. I want to welcome everyone for coming tonight. And the truth is we've had many um, on Shalom Bias, on relationships. We've had many episodes, but I'm excited about tonight's um, EFT, Emotional Focus, because forget about um, relationship and forget about Shalom Bias for now. I believe, personally believe, that talking about emotions is is something that you can apply in every area in your life. And of course, tonight we will be discussing, focusing on um, relationship, but even before um, um, marital relationships, regular relationships, wherever you go, whether it's your kids, at work, and shul. And I believe deep down, whatever a person does, if you're not aware, it's really the emotions that controls a person. And for those who know, for those who understand, it's, it is fascinating. I've learned this in the middle of my, of my journey. I did not grow up, grow up with knowing this, but you know, along the way, I've, I've met many of these ideas. And once I became aware of it, start teaching about it, which I do Wednesday nights, um, just to understand how to get a person to, to his core relationship with yourself you need to understand what emotions are. Now, it's interesting. There can be people who um, claim that they're very emotional in tuned, and it could sound, when you talk to them, they're very emotional, but it's, it could be it's outside, you know, for others being there, doing what you need to do, and, 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 and they're really doing a great job. However, there are places in their life or turning inwards to their own emotions where it can be a big struggle. And I, you know, there's a lot of escape. Today we learn, we live in a world which Baruch Hashem, we can escape day and night, especially with the media and our phone. And we could be busy, busy, even with regular routine, the outside, it could be look like we're doing, we're doing great, but it could be we're escaping from deep, deep down emotions. Now, I'm not going to be talking about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to present tonight, but to, we do have with us those who do it day in, day out, just to give us a glimpse to understand of how, of how it works, what emotions are, and uh, really to, to figure out what our triggers are. And uh, tonight we're going to be discussing um, marital relationships, which you have two people, grew up two different places, two different worlds and then put them in one house and they have to figure it out. And then if you're not aware, many buttons get pushed. You know, you press buttons and you, you don't even know why. And then you have to go to Dava Mincha, Dava Maris, and you're forever running to work. <laughs> and uh, what, whatever escape or whatever coping mechanism we have. But then we wonder why, what's missing? There's something missing. And that's to say the least, even if you're not fighting and even if there's no you know, um, high tension, it's just something is missing. And it could be that what we're gonna be discussing tonight, we'll bring it out. Before we start, I do wanna mention that it, it might be hard for many to hear the ideas of just being in tune to your own emotion. 
And if you feel in the middle that you need to leave, just be aware that that itself is a trigger. If you have to, it's okay, but just we become in tuned. If you feel uncomfortable, that's emotions. That's exactly what we're gonna be talking about tonight. So sit back and relax and try to listen and see if you can apply something to yourself. It's much easier to apply to others, to your spouse, but to see what is it in me. And in Mitzvah, we should have a lot of Siyatah tonight with the knowledge, and it should be with lots of atzlocha. Thank you, Coach Menachem. That was a beautiful opening. I appreciate that. Again, tonight we're here to really get into some deep, deep um, points of marriage and really connection. I think probably, if I had to put it in one word, it's probably taking our marriage into a deeper connection, which is going to be a big topic. We got a lot of questions that came in. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to first do our, now we started this weekly gematria for the number this year. So uh, we'll start with that, and then I'll read your bio, Rabbi Bloom, and then we'll get into it, okay? So first of all, tonight's share, share 995. I know it's gematria Haman, 95, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. So the first gematria that we got is mahalach, means a, a path away, is 95. The real good gematria I thought was amazing tonight, and that's why we waited 95 shiurim to bring you on, is 95 is gematria hava believe gila, love with an open heart, which would be probably the best way to describe um, you know, EFT therapy and marriage and the connection. So I thought that was amazing. I'll give a little background over here also so everybody can understand what's going on. Rabbi Bloom is really, this is especially really specialized in EFT therapy and really helping couples, you know, reach much stronger connections. Um, the way this year came about is Mrs. Flug actually reached out to me. She, she, she really, she does also the same type of therapy, which, right, we clarified Mrs. Flug, we do the same type of therapy. She really focused and she's trying to really get therapists trained to help Hassan Kalas and even premarital before they're married, have a few courses in this type of communication. So when they do get married, um, they have a much better success versus um, having years and years of, you know, built up stuff and then having to work through those weeds. So uh, hopefully during the share tonight, we'll get some of that from her. And I'm going to read Rabbi Bloom's bio and we're going to jump into it. Okay. Rabbi Leslie Bloom is a licensed psychotherapist. He specializes in marriage counseling, parenting consultants. He's also sought after public speaker and award-winning educator. For the past 16 years, he's been teaching and counseling others to enhance their relationships towards work, towards their goals, and lead lives of joy and purpose. Reverend Blue has thousands of hours of clinical experience counseling teens, young adults, parents, and couples. He's received city, state, and national recognition as roles teacher, mentor, and counselor. And he's regularly sought out to speak on topics of marriage, parenting, education, emotional well-being. In addition to being licensed marriage <laughs> and family therapist in the state of Florida, he currently serves as an educational consultant, a teacher, and mentor. He holds dual master's degree in the Jewish studies and marriage and family therapy. Rabbi Bloom is recognized as a clinical fellow of the American Association of Marriage, AAMFT, you can look that up, and is a professional member of the American Counseling Association, ACA. He's additionally certified from the Beck Institute for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, CBT, and Imagno Relationship, uh, Relationships International. He and his wife, Rivka, have been blessed with five children. They live in sunny Hollywood, Florida. It's supposed to have you here tonight. Rabbi Bloom, please... Give us your opening. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Asher and Menachem, for getting us started. And for all of you, for all of us that are getting together to speak about this, I really feel very fortunate and blessed to be part of this conversation. Um, and I really want to see it as a conversation, because as we're going to learn, as we feel comfortable with one another and, and safe, where the conversation can be really meaningful and deep and connecting. So just to echo Menachem. Menachem said that this is really for everybody, and it really is, whether you're in a, in a relationship, um, a marriage, or you're, you're, you're a parent, regardless of where you find yourself in life, 
EFT as an approach to therapy is all about human beings learning how to relate more deeply, more vulnerably to one another, right? And I would add for our audience and really to Hashem, okay? We'll leave that maybe for another, another conversation, but it's also relating to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a more open and vulnerable way. Um, but really to emphasize, we're speaking about marriage tonight, so we're gonna go straight to that. And nowhere is it more crucial and essential to be able to relate openly and vulnerably than in a marriage. And there's a good reason for that. And it's not something that was developed by EFT, Sue Johnson, or any of the, of the mavens in therapy today. It goes back to Sefer Breshit. It goes back to the beginning. Because we hear in Perak Bet and in, in Breshit, we hear right away, Hashem tells the human being, Lo tov, A human being is not meant to experience life alone. Right? He needs a partner. He needs someone to do this thing with. So what happens? Chazal tell us that Adam was created dupartsufim. He was created male and female. He had both aspects in his being. And in order to create a relationship, he had to, the feminine dimension was separated out. He underwent the surgery. And then that feminine dimension is brought back to Adam. And in that he exclaims, it's a beautiful exclamation. To Zosapam, finally, 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 Zosapam, finally, finally, I found a connection. I found someone where I feel at home with, I feel like I've got a partner. And then immediately the next apostle gives the mandate for marriage. Right after he exclaims the, the simcha, the, 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 the connection of Zosapam, Hashem says, and that's why you get married. You get married to experience that those palm that can become one flesh with somebody. I can become connected deeply. And that's really, we have to understand that's what's at stake in marriage. That's what we're all seeking as we take that risk. And I remember my time, I was, I, I was engaged and I was like, finally, I got here, right? Because I, was, I, was, I knew somehow something deep inside me sensed that what I was really finally searching, hopefully going to get, was this deep connection, this deep attachment to another human being that I hadn't experienced, at least hadn't experienced in a way that, that um, I had been looking for. And that's, that's what we're working at in marriage. The question that we're coming to marriage is, can I rely upon you? Are you there for me? Will I find a place with you to, to, to experience this deep connection that we all long for? So if that's the background, Right? If that's what we're really starting with, that's our starting point. We really want to understand what gets in the way of this courageous endeavor to try and become one flesh with another human being. What can possibly get in the way of that? It seems so natural. Hashem says, make it happen. But we all know it's not so simple. We may start with the longing and the yearning and we're under the hope and it's going to be beautiful, but it, something, seems, something gets in the way. And the rub is like this, folks. The rub is like this, is that as we, we allow somebody into our lives to become one flesh with that person, to allow that person to matter to me as much as you matter to me, there's a tremendous amount of risk and vulnerability in that. Because if I allow you to matter to me that much, you can also hurt me more than anybody else. You can hurt me deeply. 
And we have experience with that already because we're all relational beings from the beginning. From the very beginning, we grow up in homes and we are automatically vulnerable. We, we are born vulnerable. We need another human being to take care of us. And that's physical and that's emotional. And if we suffer pain in those earlier relationships, which we all do, because all parents, as perfect as we try and be, we're going to miss our children at times, and that child's going to feel pain. So we already, all of us, as we're coming to marriage, we already have pain, relational pain from earlier on. So as we try and become Basar Echad, we make ourselves vulnerable to somebody else, we're also on watch. We're also guarding, we're also vigilant, and we're taking care to see, like, will this person hurt me? I'm opening my heart, like Usher said, I'm opening my heart to you. I'm letting myself rely upon you, depend on you. Like, more than anybody else, you are my person. And with that, I can get deeply hurt, and I know what that feels like, because it's happened before. So we're simultaneously doing two things. We're seeking connection, and we're guarding ourselves from pain. Right? And because we've experienced it before, there's a part of us that it almost, although we're not conscious of it, almost expects to experience more pain in this relationship. At the same time, we want to connect deeply. So as these two things are happening at the same time, it can be tough. So we come in and we're longing for connection. We want to become Basar Echa. We want to unite. We want to have this deep connection. But as soon as I see something that reminds me, and this, I think, was it Menachem that was talking about triggers that reminds me of something that I've experienced, a wound. It hits something right there. My guards come up. Oh, here I am again. I'm in a vulnerable place. I'm relying upon this person and ouch, this hurts. I need you. And right now in this moment, I'm not sure. Are you there for me? I'm not sure if I can count on you. And in that moment of distress, that's when our, what are called attachment styles come online how we manage that pain. Because we've already learned in relationships. We've been in relationships for like 25, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years. Right? We've learned in relationships, but going all the way back, we've hurt before. And we developed strategies to manage that pain. And without getting to too much depth, because you know, maybe with the questions, I can explain a little bit more. But there are two basic strategies that we do to manage emotional pain. When I reach for my spouse and I get, ouch, I'm not, you, you're not responding to me in the way that I had hoped. One way I'll deal with that is to try and is activate, is I'll turn up the emotional volume and I'll get louder. I'll push harder. What's wrong with you? You don't see me? I, I need you right now. In that push, in that activation, if you want to say the hope of that activation is I'm distressed, I'm fearful that you're not there for me. And I'm trying to get some reassurance that you are. So I'm pushing harder. I'm pressing. In EFT language, we call that the pursuer, the one that, that senses the disconnection and pursues the reassurance of, of, of finding it again. Because it's, it's, it's so painful and so difficult not to know if you're there for me. So I'm going to pursue and activate and try and get you to, to, like, to come closer, to reassure me. That's one defense. And it's a defense because it hides the vulnerability, the pain that's underneath that activation. You don't say, the person that's activating there doesn't say, hey, I'm feeling really scared over here. I don't know if you're there for me and I need you right now. And I'm, and I'm, 
I'm feeling alone. You don't speak from that vulnerable place. It, it's because it's not safe to, right? It's not safe to. You try and get the reassurance with a more of what's called a secondary emotion. It could be anger, it could be frustration, pushiness, nudginess, complaining. That's, the, that's one strategy to try and deal with the distress of, of, of pain that you're feeling in that moment, the person's feeling in that moment. The other strategy is to defend. It's like when a person experiences emotional pain, they kind of turn down the volume. They're like, okay, this is not good right over here. I go into my head, I try and figure it out, I pull away, I try and kind of, you know, there's a lot of different strategies. I'll justify, I'll explain. But the main focus here is I'm trying to get away from the emotional distress by turning down the volume, by turning down the emotional volume. And the function of that, again, is to deal with the pain. So both of these strategies are trying to deal with the pain of emotional distress in relationship. And if you can imagine, I mean, we'll probably play this out a little bit more later on with the questions, but these two styles of what's called activate or pursue and defend, withdraw, now, Hashem's beautiful sense of humor, he brings these people together, right? And the pursuer activates to try and get the withdrawer to come closer. But when the withdrawer sends the distress of the pursuer, he, he, I'm using he, although it could be she, you know, it's a little bit in a gender specific. He pulls away, right? To try and he rationalizes, explains, goes into his head. She says, you're not there for me. She activates more, comes around for another round. It's more distressing to him. He pulls away more, and now you have a vicious cycle that completely hijacks a marriage. And when this happens, the safety of the relationship suffers. It's no longer safe. We don't trust each other. It's not safe for me to be vulnerable, for me to be with you. I don't trust that you're there for me. And when that lack of safety sets in, you can't achieve the purpose of marriage, which is connection. Safety is the prerequisite, emotional safety, physical safety also. Emotional safety is the prerequisite for connection. And now based upon this cycle, there's no more safety. There can be no more connection and people start to become hopeless and helpless. And either their, their relationship is a constant conflict of blaming or pursue withdrawal, or ultimately it will kind of become roommates. It just becomes cold and distant where people stop reaching for each other and even hoping that I'll find somebody to be there for me. We just kind of give up. And when that sets in, it, you know, some people stay in that mode for a long time. But what I've, what I've seen is that often there's usually an exit from the marriage in one way or, the, or another. It can be in the form of an affair or an addiction. Um, but no longer am I finding a need met here and, and I need to continue to avoid this pain. And um, that's, that's unfortunately how this, what happens when this cycle takes over. Now, I don't want to go too long, okay? But there is a lot, what's happening underneath this cycle, if you can think about it, it's all a matter of how important you are to one another. The activator, the pursuer is reaching so hard and activating because she needs him so much. The withdrawer is pulling away because to see his wife's distress and not know what to do and how to manage that emotion, he pulls away and shuts down because he doesn't want to be disappointing her. It's because of how important this person is. But none of that vulnerability is shared. None of that vulnerability is able to be shared because it's not safe to. So there's no way to, to reconnect once this cycle happens. 
So EFT, the process of EFT in whatever format you take it, whether it's in the psychoeducational, the workshops, or it's in therapy, it's really about helping couples see this cycle and how it's taking over their marriage and then giving them enough safety in that room to understand what's happening inside each of you when this cycle is going on and then having them meet in those more vulnerable places. So then in the very place where you previously experienced the most pain, they're now there for each other and able to be there for each other and support each other. And the connection happens in the place of pain. The connection happens in the place that you previously lost each other. And that's a, that's, that's a redemption. That's a redemption to the relationship. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of EFT, as you, can, as you can see. And it specifically, I want to be clear, is because I feel it's so aligned with the Torah's approach to relationships. Obviously, it's a clinical approach, but yet it gets to really what's at stake in a relationship. So I, I hope that's a Roshi Prakha, at least the beginning of the conversation, so you can see what's, what, uh, how EFT approaches relationships. And I'm, I'm looking forward to going to some questions and just continuing the conversation. Everyone, that was a beautiful opening. Appreciate that. Um, obviously, via the questions that we're really going to try to understand it, how yeah, to apply sure. it. And mm -hmm. That's what we're here for tonight. Okay, let's take a poll from everybody and then we'll get into it. Start the poll. <laughs> okay, we have two questions we're going to ask everybody. Please respond honestly. And if you're sitting with your spouse, um, you could answer honestly also. That's the point of the show. Okay, so the first question is everybody can see it. How much do you feel your spouse knows about the real you? Three options. Your spouse knows everything about your real you, option A. Option B, very little. Or option C, most things, but not my deep, dark part. So either everything, very little, or like in between, most things, but not my deep, dark parts. Okay, please vote. And then the second question is, when we fight, I tell myself, which, which one do I tell myself? You see our relationship is helpless, it's over. B, we will get past this and move on, you know, kick it down, right? Kick it down the road, how do you say it? Yeah, yeah. Keep the can down the road. Yeah. Keep the can down the road. Or option three, we will get stronger from working through this argument together. Or do you view it that, okay, we're going to argue, we're going to take this as a pedestal. Use the real answer, what you feel like. Okay, five seconds. And then we'll uh, jump into some questions, okay? Okay. Okay, that's fine. I'll share it. Yeah, I'll share it. Okay, now we're going to share the results with everybody. Okay, how much do you feel your spouse knows about the real you? 33% of people say everything. So one third of the people here tonight believe that their spouse knows everything about them. 13% say very little. And 54% feel most things, but not my deep, dark secret. So basically, most of the crowd here feels that they have a good connection, but things, the core things, the deep, dark secrets, they don't feel their spouse knows about them. Second answer, second question. When we fight, I tell myself, 23% of people say, you see our relationship is helpless. 48% of people, the winning answer is, we will get past this and move on. We'll kick it down the road. And 29% of people say, we will get stronger from working through this argument together. So let's exit out of that. Okay. Let's start with a, a few questions just to get the thing going. We have a few live ones. Yeah, let's start with the live one first. Okay, hi, you're on. You'll start, you'll, you'll start it off. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Um, basically, my situation is, uh, I'm a premarital question. It's not a marriage question. I'm still a bachur in the shidduchim process. 
And one, something I realized over time is that one of my biggest challenges in the whole system is coming to the point, you know, close to a relationship with, with the girl I'm going out with that I have to share deep secrets that I have within my life, whether it's just personal things about me, or it could be a skeleton that I have. And it's just very difficult for me to do it. And on the other hand, part of me wants to do it and wants me that the other person should know about me. And when I look into myself, I feel, I think part of the reason that this might be so is because, you know, I've been in relationships with people in the past and I trusted them so much. And one day they were just dishonest to me and they stabbed me in the back that now I'm scared. There's a fear of, you know, trusting the person again. And uh, I know it's a problem in Shaduchim. I can imagine it's a problem in marriage. And uh, I want to, you know, a voice in me just says, unless you're very, very sure this person is going to accept you, you can't share anything with them now. Because what if they reject you based on your deep secrets? So what can I do? Like, how can I fix this type of thing? What type of therapy or what what route can I take to try to fix this problem? Yeah. Rabbi Ullman, I'd like you to start, but I'd like uh, Mrs. Falk to follow up with this, okay? Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd appreciate Panina jumping in here. Um, first of all, Nisanil is your name? Yeah. Okay, Nisanil, I really appreciate the question. I mean, the dilemma that you just set up over here, I think it's the core of, of everything that I just said. Um, your struggle in wanting to connect and wanting to let somebody know you and yet fearing fearing that because you've been hurt in the past and fearing that if I do that, I'll just be rejected again or somebody will betray me or someone won't honor you know, what, I'm, what I'm sharing is everybody's struggle. And I think the first thing to do is to recognize how human that is and not to, not to think that because there is a struggle there and, and there's a, um, a hesitation that there's anything wrong. It actually means that you're right exactly on the pulse of what relationships are about. And your desire to do that and your desire still to take the risk to find the right person where ultimately with time it can become safe enough to do that is a beautiful yearning and rutson for, for a marriage. And I just want to let you know that that as opposed to being a problem, I think what you described is a great entrance place to a relationship. And hopefully you'll find somebody that understands the risk uh, of, of what it means to, to share yourself with somebody else and will honor that. Um, and that, that takes time. We don't be, we're not reckless with vulnerability. We don't just share like with anybody at any time and anything. We get to choose how much. But the, the, I think the goal is to let little by little, whatever part we feel is important to let our partner into, to let them know us more so that we can be more connected and we don't have to be so alone in our experience. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question as much as validating and making sure you know that like your question is the question of relationships. And if you've been hurt, if you've been betrayed, if there's trauma, okay, whether it's in intimate relationships or, you know, previous significant relationships, marriages, um, or in your, in your family of origin, you have every good reason to be, to be hesitant and to be, to be, uh, um, say careful with what you do here, you know, and then as you, as you, decide with whom to take that risk, when and how. So I hope that makes sense. 
So Flag, I would like you first to, to chime in on him, but I also want you to explain a little bit what you do, what your initiative is. I feel that would be very helpful for a lot of people listening. Again, people are texting me. We're going to explain what EFT is and how the therapy works and how to fight in our own marriages. We're going to put the questions and we, we're going to get there. We're just talking about the concept, the connection, what it is. I just want to clarify that. Okay, so first to answer Nisano, your question. I, I mean, I, I think Rabbi Bloom, you really covered what I would say also. I think that you're ahead of, you're really ahead just that you're noticing this block. I think that's, you're, you're really, many people don't even notice what's holding them back. Um, so I think that's great. And I think that, again, what Rabbi Bloom said, what we, what we, what we tell couples is slowly share, right? Like first share that it's hard to share. And then, and, and right, it has to be safe. You ha you can't just share. Um, and I think you asked about what would help you find out more about this. And I think EFT would really help you understand your block and help you connect. But the fact that you realize what the block is, is you're prepared already. You, can, you know what you have to deal with. Um, and then Usher, you want me to talk about what I'm doing a little hey, bit? Yeah, I really want to talk about, I really want you to just bring out the point of what you're doing. And I know that you wrote an article in the Mishpacha magazine about it. I feel it's important. We have a, a 450 people here, much of thousands of people hear this. And I think as being a parent and understanding what's going on and things that we deal with with the share, I think just what you're doing is such, such a valuable, tremendous work. And I want you to really explain what you're focusing on in the EFT world and where you're trying to make a world change difference for marriages going forward. I'd like you to explain it. Okay, so I I've been doing EFT. An interview for a job. <laughs> I've been, so okay, so I've been doing EFT for a long time, and like Rabbi Bloom said, when I started doing EFT, it was a great fit, and I just that's all I do now, and I I see that there's a lot of hope for couples if they can find a therapist to work with them. There's a lot of hope. Um, so over the recently, I started thinking about that a lot of the couples that come in for help a lot of the problems could be prevented with a little prevention before the, before the marriage. We're seeing a lot of couples coming in very early in the marriage already with negative cycles that make them feel hopeless. So um, I started to start work with engaged couples during engagement and early on in the marriage to teach them EFT, like what we do in EFT therapy, but in a psychoeducational model teaching them all the skills for healthy communication. We teach them how to bond. We do exercises with communication with the hope that we can prevent a lot of shell and bias problems before. The other, the other, what's very important also about what we're doing in EFT, premarital education, is teaching couples that everyone has trouble. There's Everyone needs help, the strength to ask for help, and that if there's, if there's any difficulties to try to get help right away. Um, the other, uh, just to, to add on to what Rabbi Bloom said, we teach couples, if you understand your, um, if you understand the way that you, like if you're, how you, how you interact with people, you understand your patterns with people before you get married, uh, you can learn how to change your patterns if, if to make it, to set yourself up for success. So, Mrs. Slug, I want to have a question, question. Why wouldn't I better off get married? See how the marriage goes, right? I mean, there's a there's a one percent chance we'll just be love at first sight and forever. And then if this problem's 10, 20, 30 years down the road, I'll take EFT therapy, I'll waste my time with that. But why should I do it before I get married? Why should I think so negative? 
Okay, so you would you you we don't we don't go we don't do anything in life without preparation. We don't go for a job without being prepared. Marriage is the most important part of our life. It's the foundation of your whole family. It's really so why wouldn't we want to set ourselves up for success before? And also once you once couples get into a negative cycle, they start to feel like it's very hard to get out of it. And they, so if you can understand before that all couples argue, but you need to learn how to repair, then you'll, you'll do a lot better. And premarital education is proven to prevent marital satisfaction to lower divorce rates. Mrs. Flug, do you help couples before they get married or after the cost of the collar or after they're married? Exactly. What's the, what's the program? Okay. So it's, it, it could really go either way, whatever they're comfortable with. So the ideal is to have a few sessions before the wedding and then a few after the wedding, but it, it really, it can be the first year, anytime in the first year, or if couples find out about this and they've already been married a few years, it's still great. It, then we call it marriage enhancement. It doesn't really matter how long you've been married, right? This is the most important part of our life. So we want to, we want to learn how to communicate with our with our spouse, with our children. So anytime, it's really good to do it anytime. Should the, should the parents send their kids, or you you need the those um, deciding by themselves that they want to go, or every parent should say you have to go before you get married and learn this skill. How would that work? I I mean I think that it should come from the parents, right? But the child, the child has no clue what the parent wants from them. The child feels, I'm great, I'm fine, I'll do, I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> well, the more people that have premarital education, then the more, well, that, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to, we're trying, right now, we're in the process of trying to train from therapists around the world to teach this course so that it becomes the norm. We're talking to Rabbanim and trying to get Rabbanim on board to, Tell, to tell couples that just like they should do chassan and kala classes, they should take classes in communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I, I, everyone I speak to about it, they all say they wish that they had this before they got married. I know that's the, that's the hard <laughs> part of here. Once we're in it and we see it, we say, yes, right. it would have been so good. But you're talking to young, you know, young adults who think they're starting off with everything they need. The parents, so, so then it's the it's the parents' responsibility. It's the responsibility of the rabbanim, right? I mean, I think we all want to we all want to set our children up for success in marriage. So we have to strongly encourage this. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mrs. Flaga. I just want to jump to back to Rabbi Blum. I just want to clarify one thing. We when we spoke I said how much money do people spend for for a wedding and for a chasana? Right. What's, what's a few hundred dollars to try to get a little premarital communication help, not therapy? Right. Okay, I want to go back to you again. People are texting. What is EFT? What does it stand for? So we got to go back to the olive base. That's number one. I just want to harp on one other thing. For many years of doing this EFT therapy with couples and married for 20, 30 plus years, they're coming in that our marriages are, I don't want to say on the last hope, but they're coming to really. What value would you say would it be for a young couple, Hassan Kala, before that to go for such a type of course? What's just explain, explain it? Yeah, the, the metaphor that I don't remember who shared it with me, but, you know, when a, a Hassan and Kala are just getting started, you know, they have like a little jet ski, you know, they're, they've got, they might need to turn that jet ski around and learn and learn about their attachment styles and learn communication skills, but not, 
hasn't been too much entrenched there and set in, you know, you're not like too etched in your ways, set in your ways. So you can turn that around pretty, pretty swiftly. 20, 30 years, and Panina can probably corroborate this, like you're working with a couple that that negative cycle, that pattern has really set in towards to find the relationship, the narrative of the relationship to such an extent that you're turning around an ocean liner. It just takes a lot more intensive work. It's like a lot more to unravel. You know, there's, we just start with that long, we start to believe things about ourselves and about our partner that, um, you know, we take as truth. And unfortunately, it's just a story of the negative cycle as opposed to what's really happening in the relationship. So that metaphor of, of jet ski versus ocean liners, <laughs> it makes sense to me. Okay, right, boom. So let's get into it. People want to understand what it is, what, what's communication. We'll get some questions. Again, what does EFT stand for? EFT stands for, stands for Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy. And the, the, main, um, the main developer is Dr. Sue Johnson. Um, the book for lay people is called Hold Me Tight. It's the main book I would recommend to anybody that's looking to read more, learn more about EFT. It's called Hold Me Tight. And it's a, it's a great introduction to EFT. Um, it's based upon, the Hold Me Tight book is based upon a workshop, which is called Hold Me Tight, that's, that's done for couples. Um, and EFT therapy is, is therapy for couples that's based upon this model. I, the, the way that it works is um, the first stage is really helping a couple understand where they lose each other. What happens when you guys, when, when you guys have that thing that you both end up feeling a tremendous amount of pain, you just lose each other, you need each other, and it hurts, right? People call it an argument, but it's, that's, it's more a pattern because most of us are familiar that we have, seems to be had the same argument over and over again. And that's because arguments are based upon emotional, emotional defaults, attachment styles, okay? So the first thing we wanna do is help, a, help slow things down enough so a couple can really see that when you asked him to hold the baby and he said, I need to get a good night's sleep because he's got a presentation tomorrow, okay? So you felt in that moment, what was happening for you? And she says, what was happening for me is I felt like I, I was angry. I, I needed him in that moment and he wasn't there for me. And so I, so I, I tried to get him to see that, that like this hurts, right? And you'll slow that down to start to get to the vulnerability that's really there for her in that reach. And the same thing on the other side, when you heard your wife get upset with you and say, you, you, you won't help me this one time, I always take care of the baby and you need to go to sleep. What happened for you on the inside? He's like, well, I was feeling like, you know, here she is again, attacking me. And what do you tend to do? What do you feel when, when, when you're being attacked? I feel like, I, I feel frustrated. Like I, I, need to get to, I need to get to sleep, I need to go to work. Okay, so you're feeling frustrated over here. And then what do you tend to do? So I, I, I try and explain to her, but she doesn't get it. And as we start to slow this cycle down, right? We slow this reactive, really fast cycle down. We start to see what's at stake, the vulnerability that's at stake for each of them in this painful interaction. But the first thing is to really get them to see how when you do X, when you, excuse me, when you feel X and you do Y, that lands on him and he feels, and he feels Z and then he does A and that links back in with you and that only propels you to do more of the same and around and around we go. Okay. And I can give some examples if it's helpful. If you think, oh, sure, it's helpful to like give them like a more. Let's, let's get into a few questions and we'll get into examples. Yeah. I'm going to play out through the questions. I think a lot of questions here. And again, I forgot to say this. Um, we have, I would say, from the Gedolim and EFT with us tonight. So if you have somebody that um, I don't know what his rate is, but let's say it's a lot of money. I'm not saying that. 
And he's here to answer your questions. Please text me, Ashraparnas, any of the questions you have. Obviously, live questions go first. Let's let's have a ride and let's try to understand it and really uh, try to try to really grow from it together. I think it'll be very, very helpful. For you sure. Know. So please text some, me. Some real, some real tangible examples would be yeah. helpful. Okay, yeah. so let's start with some basic questions that came in. I think this will really just open up the conversation. Go for I got it. A few different versions of somebody just texting me right now. I got married recently. Basically, the question in short is I just got married and I don't I feel zero connection with this person. I don't know who to talk to. I am lost. So I'm sending my question here. What's my first step? I get married. Everything's cute. You know, straight out of seminary, whatever. I don't want to make stereotypes. It doesn't really make a difference technically. But, yeah. you know, the marriage, the, the wedding is over. You know, the, the fancy dresses are done. All the fancy pictures are done. All the parties are done. And a few months later, and I just feel like I'm sitting with somebody. I have nothing to talk to and I have no connection. There's no nothing. So where do we take it from there? It's a very, I think that sums up about 20 questions I just got right now. <laughs> so if I'm getting it, the question is I'm starting off and it doesn't, from the beginning, it doesn't feel like there's a relationship. Like there's no, I'm not trying to reach for you and get, get, and get you to be there for me. There's like, there's no interaction. There's just two people living past very, the past the catch, a very solitary. So, you know, unfortunately what you're, what, what, what I would imagine is happening there is you have two people that are so scared, right? So scared of what it would mean to rely upon somebody, right? They fear the rejection of like needing somebody else and not having that person there for them, like what the reaction will be, what the response will be, that they're not even trying to reach. They're not even taking the risk, right? And um, I guess the first place you would go is like, what's holding you back, right? From from engaging what what's keeping you each in your silos isolated in the same room living together but with no with no connection what's keeping you from risking and trying to be there for each other and trying to connect with one another so you want to start to mind that what's holding them back there's a block there for each of them what's behind that block what fear is behind that block and once you start to understand that fear and it makes good sense while they're not reaching. And maybe they can start to share their fear with one another of why it's hard for me to let myself be open to you or to need you or to ask for you or to, or to share some of my experiences with you, right? To understand what that block is, right? That's where you would begin because you have two people that got married, which means my assumption is we want to become one. We want to be there for each other. Okay, now you have the opportunity, but you're not trying. So what's blocking you from, from taking that risk? That's where I think the starting point might be. If, if one is in, in therapy for trauma, would you say they should wait till they heal or they should do this maybe alongside therapy? Yeah, that's a great question, Menachem. So I, I think maybe we can be understood from just what I've said so far that when a person has has trauma in their background, significant, whether it's attachment trauma, meaning in relationships to their family or other forms of abuse and neglect, they are going to be hypervigilant in protecting themselves from hurt. And it's gonna be very hard for that person for a, to get a foothold in the couple's process without doing some of their, their, own, their own work where they, their, their pain is understood and um, really being given the attention that they need to, to start to begin the process of, of engaging with their partner in a therapeutic process. Um, it's just very risky, it's too risky. And it, I, what I found, and Panina can chime in, what I found when you have that either with one of them or both of them, and they haven't had any um, personal therapy, you need to do it 
at the same time. You refer them out to another therapist for individual therapy, for individual treatment for the trauma, and you continue, you incorporate that into the couple's process as well at the same time. And obviously there's a team there between the couple's therapist and the individual therapist supporting this lovely couple. I want to jump into the next question over before I do that, Mrs. Flug, two people texted me, they want your contact information. So do you have like an email or somebody wants to reach out to you about Kosankala or premarital stuff? Yeah. Sure, I'll put it on the chat. No, just just say it because everybody could hear it. It'll be better. Oh, okay. Panina at paninafluglcsw.com. You mind spelling that? P-E-N-I-N-A at P-E-N-I-N-A flug, F-L-U-G, L-C-S-W.com. Okay, amazing. Thank you. Okay, Rabbi Bloom, let's get into, like we start off a little bit with the Hassan Ka. Let's get into a little bit more this question, I think it's another angle. I've been married for Baruch Hashem over a decade. We did have bumps through the way, but lately my wife tells me she feels unhappy with the marriage and completely disconnected, like we're living two separate lives. I asked her why she feels like that. She responded, I don't know why, but that's what I feel. Is there a weirdness that you can give on this? Like basically, yes, yeah, let me read somebody else. Somebody just texted. What happens when you just don't feel compatible anymore? You don't have enjoyment being together with your partner. It's years of stress, dealing with life, kids, et cetera. Um, and it's just dried out. So basically the same question of the Hassan Kal, but over here it's coming from a whole different angle. Over there, they were scared to be vulnerable. Over here, I don't know if they were scared to be vulnerable if that's possible for 10 years or more. That's A or B. Is it just when it starts the negative cycle so strong and they're just completely burnt out? Yes, you got it. <laughs> very good, not sure. Right, like that's what's set in is that, you know, the cues, the attachment cues are very insignificant, right? Like they're like, they're, they could be something as, as as small as reaching for your partner it could be something as small as like i said can you hold can you take care of the baby tonight he comes home from work and he's complaining about his boy his boss that was was inappropriate or or or, or crude or or um critical and he's looking for some from for some validation or empathy and his wife says something like well you know he has a good point or you know something where she that reach is not responded to and all of these little um bids for connection if they're rejected, we, the relationship takes a major hit there, okay? And it becomes less and less safe to reach for each other. As it becomes less and less safe to reach for each other, we do things on our own or reach out to friends or reach out to therapists or other people to be there for us, but we don't have the relationship as a safe haven, as a safe space to process life together. And as that sets in, well, just people really give up. And they just do their own thing and they co-parent and he make and they make they make they make a home together, but there is no reaching and responding. There's no back and forth of interdependency of people being there for each other and um, and becoming one flesh and uniting. Yeah. Without this, let's let's go a little further with that. Yeah. So without jumping to EFT therapy, right? Obviously, if you need it, you should, and we're all big fans of that. What will be the first step if you're already in that web to restart and to get out of the web naturally? What will be the be, first all of base steps? All of base steps. I'll be totally honest. Mm -hmm. What you described, the state that that couple is in, where mm -hmm. it's completely dried out, they need their, that's the point where therapy is, in, is indicated. They're not going to be able to rehabilitate that on their own. Maybe they can jumpstart it and get things started with a workshop. Um, but ultimately that the couple needs attention. There's things that have, have become ingrained over for, for 10 years that need to be unraveled and, um, 
And that takes time and that takes a safe space and that takes ongoing attention. And there's no shortcut. That's the thing about EFT. It's a little bit different in terms of a, of a, a modality. And I, I mentioned this to you earlier. It, you don't come to the couples therapist, an EFT therapist, for advice. Fix my marriage. Tell me what to do. Teach us communication skills. It's a process of learning about yourself and about your partner and creating in that, creating enough safety so you can share that you can encounter one another in places that you haven't encountered one another before. And that takes time because vulnerability is, is something that it, 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 there needs to be a pace where it becomes this permission given to become vulnerable. And you can't rush that. It's just, it's, you cannot rush that. Did I get that? I did I break up here? Yeah, I guess. I just wanted to take it to, you know, so what would you tell um, couples that you, did you mean individual therapy, individual therapy versus individual therapy versus going together? Is that what you meant? In, in terms of, of, of this couple that, that um, Usher was describing? Right. Not, not necessarily. No, it could be, you could start together? with couples. Yeah, you could start with couples therapy. So right? you shouldn't run straight to, to um, EFT. No, they can, they can run straight to EFT. Mm -hmm. They can run straight to EFT. EFT will then create the space, an EFT therapist will create the space where they can begin to um, understand what's keeping them apart, the blocks that are there, and with enough time, make it safe enough so that they can reach from the vulnerable places that are underneath that cycle, underneath that reactive cycle. Because underneath the anger, there's pain. Underneath... The, the withdrawal and the, 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 the self-protection, there's a fear of, of not being enough, right? And those are, those are mm -hmm. much more vulnerable places that when people encounter that in one another, it's like we're wired to respond. That's the thing. It's a beautiful thing. And Hashem made us in a way that we are, we are wired to respond to somebody else's vulnerability, even as strangers, all the more so our partners, right? Uh, now, unfortunately, what happens is that, that we become so distant or there's so much conflict that vulnerability is no longer safe to be shared. And even if it is shared, even if the risk is taken, it can be blocked because it's new and I don't know what to do with this and I don't trust this and I don't, and it's, it's bringing up uncomfortable feelings for me that I don't know what to do with. So just to reiterate, this is a process that, that that honors where people are coming in at and the reasons they have blocks and defenses and, and just goes with those defenses as making good sense given the pain that they've endured. And with time, encouraging them to set down those defenses just for enough time that you can reach to your partner with, with what's with underneath that and seeing how it lands and kind of creating a new dance as opposed to that, as that, um, that, negative dance that negative cycle that has become has come to define the relationship right so that i that i'm thinking that can be a huge challenge first of all the person himself um if a is ready and b is not so yeah. that's number one number two even if one is understands that they need it they have the fear of even from many years not connecting to their own vulnerability so exactly um, sitting in the room together with their spouse, 
you know, the, the child, it can be, it can be a huge challenge the way I understand it. Now you it's, can, it is, a, it's a challenge. And that's really where the, the therapist and EFT therapist is really trained to go slow and really trained to understand that when re, what, what's referred to as resistance or blocks, when that comes up, that's actually, it's, it's, it's just people showing you where they've been hurt and you stay with the block. You validate the block as making good sense, giving their, given their fear of, of, of pain. And as you stay with the block and you stay with, and you help someone like, yeah, I get why you get angry because you really need him there. And it doesn't feel safe to ask him from a more vulnerable place. So you're getting angry to try and draw to attention to how much you need him. And yeah, that's that. That's it. And as you start to go to that place and help her or him understand what's really underneath that activation, that anger, finally, she's seen. When the therapist sees her, she, the therapist is giving her permission to go into that more vulnerable place. And it's, he, it's like, it's like you got a green light now. I get you. This is what you've been trying to do. And then as a therapist reflects with her and goes slow and goes slow and says, can you tell him about that place of pain where you feel that you're just going to be totally alone? And you're gonna, it's going to be, again, no one's going to be there for you. And it, it, that place of hurt, can you tell him about that place of hurt? That's, wow. underneath, that's underneath the anger. And if she's willing to risk at that moment to, to turn to him and say, to tell him about that, that is a, you're, now you're restructuring the bond potentially. And like Patina said earlier, she may not be ready to tell him about their hurt. She, it might be too risky because she says to herself, how can I tell him about my hurt? He hasn't been there for me before. And now I'm going to tell him about my wound, about my pain. He's not going to get me here. He's not going to be there for me. I'm not going to. So the EFT therapist goes with that and says, that makes total sense that you don't want to risk here. Yeah, because you don't know if he's going to catch you. Mm -hmm. Would you tell him how risky this feels? you tell him that this feels how risky this feels for you so you'd slice it thinner is the term they use like you slice it thinner where you say just try and get a foothold in some vulnerability so that the, that you can have some success in that interaction and once once there's success in that interaction in that encounter then it gives momentum to try and do it more but you're always ready for a block to come up at any time because the main thing these people have been avoiding for 5, 10, 20 years is vulnerable space. So the minute you enter that vulnerable space, all their defenses are going to come up and say, uh-oh, 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 I can get hurt here. So the therapist has got to go slow and walk very gently. Admas Kodesh, there's a holy ground. You just go slow with them. And sometimes that's really challenging because um, there can be a tremendous amount of reactivity and pain in the room that... Um, sounds like uh, it can get it can get loud and it can get it can get scary but the therapist then has to step in again and say oh here's the cycle showing up this is what happens with you guys right i'm seeing it right now it's right in front of me and they have to slow it down again and try and create safety because if the cycle shows up in the room then nothing good can happen the cycle it will will take over and devour the any vulnerability and potential for connection so the therapist has to step in there and the therapist's job is, is the first and foremost is to create the alignment with the couple that you're in a safe place with me. And I know that I can walk you through into this process so you can relate to each other deeper and more openly with your hearts to one another. And you can't rush that, Menachem, you know, that's just something. Uh -huh. I'm, yeah. I want to get into this when somebody's like trying a little bit. When my husband comes home from work, I let him relax, unwind. We eat together. And once he's relaxed, I try to communicate with him and talk about my feelings, trying to build that connection. He's most of the time either running back to shul or tired and just says, yeah, yeah, but not really having a two-way conversation. Please explain me what I'm doing wrong. So she's trying. She's waiting for the moment. 
she's giving him the slippers and giving him the, you know, the hot compote. <laughs> after he's all relaxed, he's either tired or he's going to Marev or he, so she, she, what is she doing wrong? What could she do to make it more, start that connection talking about her feelings? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And first of all, you know, I just want to say she's not doing anything wrong there. She's trying to set up an environment where to connect with her husband in a way that feels good to her, um, where she has her partner in her life. And she's, she's trying to set the stage. And it must be so difficult that, that it, you know, as soon as she sets the stage, she's running off. What this, what this wonderful woman probably doesn't get is that her husband is not avoiding her because he doesn't love her, doesn't care about her. What a husband is, is avoiding is most likely being in a place that he doesn't feel like he has the competency to be able to connect to her in the way that she does, that she, that she needs, excuse me. And that is very painful for a man because he cares about her so much. He wants to be the one that, that makes her happy. He wants to be the one that, that fills her cup. But he, doesn't, he hasn't learned how to do emotions. No one ever trained him. In all those years in yeshiva, they never trained him how to, to be emotionally present for, for his, someone else's feelings. So he's running away, not because he doesn't want to be there for her, because he doesn't know how. He doesn't know how. And I feel much more in control and much more competent and much more capable, much more sure of myself at work or in, in, or in, the, in the zal, in the yeshiva, in, in wherever it is, right? But when I'm put into a place with my wife and she expects things from me and I don't know how to deliver, that's an uncomfortable spot. So he's, a, he's withdrawing and avoiding it so that, that he doesn't have to feel the pain of disappointing her and letting her down. Because he's probably tried in different ways, but it, didn't, it wasn't enough for her. And she probably let him know with, in different ways, maybe with a facial gesture or like a sigh or you know, not being satisfied. And when he experiences the pain of his wife not being satisfied, he wants to avoid that at all costs. He wants to avoid that. And he's better off at, at yeshiva than experiencing the, the distress of, of his wife not being satisfied and not being happy with him. So the way you would enter there is, first of all, validating her feelings and her need for connection. And what most therapists would miss, okay, is validating his feelings. What's happening inside for you when your wife needs you, right? She, she's setting it up. She's big and she wants to talk. What's happening for you? And he might start to say things like, I just don't know what to do. Or like, I, I've tried, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it, it, it's good enough. But okay, what's that like for you to have your wife there and want something from you and not feel successful? That's it's frustrating. And you stay with the frustration. As you stay with the frustration, as you validate the frustration, yeah, it's so frustrating to want to be there for the most important person in your life and not know how to do it and never seem to get it right. What's that like? And then as you stay with the feeling of frustration, you'll see that underneath the frustration, there's going to be a disappointment in himself, perhaps, a sadness that I'm, that I'm, I'm a low yutzlach here. I'm not successful in this most important place. And you validate that and you stay with that. And you say, hey, can you, can you share some of that with her? Can you let her know what it's like to want to be there for her and not know how? And he turns to her and he shares with her for the first time the pain where she didn't know about that. She just saw him leaving. She never knew what was happening inside him the moment before he left that he was feeling incompetent and, and sad, right? That he's not able to do this well, for which reason he's avoiding that pain because that's how, you know, that's how he's always dealt with pain is by 
moving away from it. So I hope that makes sense. Like the, you, that's how you would work with that situation from an EFT perspective. Okay, uh, Rabbi Bloom, let's just jump a little bit into this. It's a little bit off, but I think it's important. So mm -hmm. we text the question, but we're going to globalize the question because I think it's really, people could relate to this. I'm currently married for over a year and in the middle of recovering from postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. I'm seeking help on, on my medication. And my question is how to handle and maintain a healthy communication during this challenging time when my mood swings are highs and lows often make me irrational and miserable for no reason. Mm -hmm. I think my husband overall has a great, I think my husband overall is a great guy. One second, I just skipped there. Um, right, we have a marriage therapist. So basically during the time when, again, she's going through the postpartum, but there's tukufas in marriage, whether somebody's going through an illness, somebody's going through a financial struggle, somebody's going through a, whatever it is. And they, you know, there is, two people to work with and they do want communication, but for whatever reason, at that particular juncture, they're mm -hmm. going through difficulty that one of them, right, just can't do it. So I guess right. like, what would be, I guess the, another way to ask, what would be like, uh, you know, during crisis, how would you, you know, EFT is beautiful when two people are, everything's great, everything's rosy, now we just have to be nice to each other and be there for each other and communicate. What happens when it's just one can't do it, but they want to do it? Right. Emergency EFT, survival right. EFT. Well, ultimately EFT is, and um, this conversation of attachment needs, like of needing somebody else, when do we need somebody else more than any other time? When does that need really come like full force onto the radar? It's when life gets tough. When I'm dealing with a loss, when I'm dealing with, with postpartum, when I'm dealing with a loss of a job or you know, the, the, a death, in those moments of pain is when we need each other most. And that's when you'll see what it, really what the relationship, the safety of the relationship, what it's made of, so to speak. Because if the couple can reach and be there for each other, then that's the, that's the greatest gift in the world. It also will show where there's an inability to be there for each other, where like they lose each other. And um, so like kind of like to flip your question around, Asher, it's, it's really there that, that it's most crucial to have the ability to talk about what's happening inside and to have the safety to say, this is such a hard time for me. I'm used to being so successful. I'm used to being so able to take care of things and I'm just lying in bed and I don't know what to do and I don't even know what's happening with me and it's so confusing. To be able to reach to your husband from that place and to have him say, I know this is confusing and I'm right here. I don't have the answer, but I'm right, I'm, I'm right here with you. I'm not going anywhere. You're basically saying when the person has the hardest time, whether they're going through that, that's really where they could take their marriage to the next level through the struggle together. <laughs> communicate well said yeah that's where that's where put that's where the the attachment comes online most strongly and will define the health or you know the the lack of health of the relationship right in those in those moments those are the, those are the crucial moments so do you want to add something to that when people go through a hard times come here yeah i i relationships grow from from hard times if they if they get the right help and they know how to be there for each other right yeah yeah that's the thing is that in the place of rupture right, in the place where things can tend to break that's where we can really learn to, to to repair and be there for each other and strengthen and have an experience i think i want to make emphasize this we all want to have an experience that we haven't had before, which is that I can count on somebody else to be there for me and we can do this together. Because most of us 
have hurt in places that we've need somebody, needed somebody else. We've needed parents in a certain way and parents do their best, right? But they don't get it. And we hurt from that and we feel alone. And we come to marriage wanting to, wanting to rectify that, right? Really wanting to, to, to find another human being to be with me in my darkest places, <laughs> in, my, in my pain. And that's what the struggle is for. That's really what the fight, so to speak, is for, is to be able to encounter one another in places where we felt most alone and most likely to, um, most likely to resort to strategies that are just ineffective ultimately, although they might have, might have helped us survive. And most of the couples that come, unfortunately, are in emergency EFT, right? Because yeah. unfortunately, people wait and they don't come when there's a little problem. So yeah. a lot of times we do have to put out the fires first. Yeah, for sure. But the, also the goal of EFT, Usher, is that your spouse can be the person that you go to. Your spouse can be the antidote to, your, to pain, right? So that's, we're not telling people how to solve their problems. We're securing their foundation. We're, we're helping them build a foundation where they can handle anything because they learn how to be there for each other. So basically, unlike conventional CBT therapy or regular marital therapy, where you're going, you're saying, well, I have a problem. My husband's like A, B, and C. And then he says, okay, do D, D, E, and F. It's more building the foundation of communication that they could learn how to do it themselves. Am I well, correct? We, we try to change the relationship. We change the relationship in the room, per, with like corrective emotional experience. We have them change their communication in the room by helping them become vulnerable and share feelings that they've never shared. So when it happens at home, slowly they can start to at home. They can learn how to exit their cycle, right? All couples are going to argue, but we teach them how to repair. We show them how to repair. Are you sure about that? I don't know if you're correct. <laughs> okay, let's go to a live question. You're on. Hi. Um, I wanted to know if there's a if you're dealing with a person who's in addiction and they are not wanting to face it. So instead of facing it, they get angry at their spouse. And they just keep, you know, blaming their spouse for their problem. And then how, I mean, the, the, I'm going to like an Anon, but it's still so hard to, how do I have communication with him? Yeah, yeah. That's a good, Chava is your name? Yeah. Okay, Chava, it's a great question. And when you're dealing with, um, when there's an, an active addiction, that's what's called a competing attachment where this person has outside, outside the relationship, has, finds the place of their, um, you know, th finds their significant relationship with a substance or with a process or whatever, where, whatever it may be. And I feel very strongly, and I, I don't know if Pina would agree, but at, at you, you, EFT or any therapy, any couple therapy would be ineffective unless the addiction is being treated, unless there is a, they're, they're, they're working, um, uh, working a process of dealing with, dealing with the, the active addiction, um, working a program. So, Otherwise, you're just going to spin the wheels of of spin the wheels of trying to get a person to be present and engage in in a, in a in a process of relating when they're not there, they're not really present with with the relationship. So, the addiction would have to be dealt with. Okay, we have a bunch of questions, a bunch of other ones I want to really get into. There's so much more to cover here tonight. Hold on one second. Okay. <laughs> This is a very interesting question. I think uh, it's really going to give a twist to the whole thing here. And I could, uh, it's amazing. Exciting. I happen to be an emotionally sensitive person. I cry easily and I have a lot of feelings inside of me, even though I'm a male. 
My wife, shockingly, is the colder person and less emotional. When I try to open up, up, up to her about my inner fears and my things that, that I'm scared about, she, it starts hurting me inside. And she simply doesn't acknowledge and even sometimes will say, come on, man up. I'm not sure how to talk to her or she's even capable of being emotionally connected or supportive. How do I deal with that? Yeah. So this is the question or should I ask the man the question? (laughs) So I guess I guess you're saying this is unique because it's the man that's seeking more emotional connection and the woman have the stereotype is that the the man is the one who's running out and he's busy. Yeah. yeah. Sitting home crying and the 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 husband is the animal, you know, whatever. I don't want to use that word. He's an aggressive guy, he doesn't know how to connect, he's a male, but there are people that are the opposite. Yeah, very much so. Um gender equality. Well, you know, it just I I think that that about 70% of of pursuers or those pers- that are very sensitive to disconnection and and pursue activate to to, to generate more connection are female about 30 percent are male so it's certainly i see i mean opinion i'm sure as well we see plenty of couples where the male is the one in that role um and look it, it nothing changes it's the same process you're just just because the man is the one that is um in the role of of pursuer then you work with that in that way, and she's the withdrawer. So you just deal with the deal with the, you know, the, the the individuals where they are based upon their attachment styles, and this it's the same exact process regardless of what the gender is. And you're always a a, a therapist is always ready. You never jump to any conclusions that he's going to be the one that's the withdrawer and the one that that just justifies and defends, and she's going to be the one that that's getting all hot and bothered and activating and you know pushing and pursuing. Just wait for them to tell you their story and see where this where is this couple missing each other? What's the cycle? What's getting in the way of their connection? And and just work it and work it, you know, wherever they're wherever they're at. That's I don't know if that that makes sense, but we don't pay too much attention to gender as much as to what what they do when their relationship they feel that, that the relationship is under distress, the connection is threatened. That's really what we start. That's our starting point. Okay, can, can, can we try, I mean, let's see if it works. I don't know, we're doing this uh, impromptu. Let's try like a little role play, if that's okay, Rabbi Bloom. You know what I mean? <laughs> can we try that? Let's have some fun. Sure, why not? I don't, let's see how it goes. Okay, so let's do a little role play because I want to see like how it would work actually in a session. Okay. You know, this is obviously, we're just, we're just joking around. This is general. This is obviously not real. So, Fog, you could jump in also, but we're going to play it out a little bit. Nothing, you want to jump in? Let's go. Okay, so what do you want to be, the man or the woman? Let's, let's try it for fun. It's not male or female. It's, it's, what, what we call it, needy and With, what's the withdrawer and pursuer. <laughs> pursuer, withdrawer. The one that activates, pursues, and the one that defends and withdraws. Let's go with that. Yeah. Okay, Menachem, how about you be the, I'll be the needy one. I like to be needy. I'm the very needy right now. <laughs> Menachem, come, let's go out. Let's spend some time together. I, I really want to spend time with you. I feel like there's a lot of things I want to talk to we you do about. This, we do this every night. I'm busy. I, there's so much I have to do. I can't every night go out with you. I know, but I feel right now I need you. I, I need a friend to really schmooze with, and I'm going through a very okay, hard. Okay. Give me, okay, give listen. me twenty minutes. Give me I'll twenty. Speak minutes. To you. I'll speak to you later. I have to go now. I'll speak uh-huh. to you later. Let's, let's, guys, let, hang on a second. Let's slow this down a little bit. Hang on. Let me see what's happening over here. So I hear Usher. You're telling Menachem. You're saying that you. You it sounds like you want to spend more time with him. I need. I want to talk through. I'm going through something emotionally hard, and I want to sit with him for a little bit and spend time and read the dark. Speak okay. So when you when you feel this way, when you feel that like you're distressed about something, I'm not sure exactly what it is. If you want, you can tell me a little bit more about it. But when you feel distressed like this, what I'm getting is that you need him. You turn to him for what what is it about what is it about him that helps you there? What is it about about uh, very sensitive, very level-minded, very smart. 
Okay. So here you're in this place where you're, you're, you're feeling distress. Mm-hmm. And as your body tells you like, Oh, Usher, like this is not a comfortable place. You're going to, you're, you're going to turn to Menachem for some like almost reassurance and know that he's that, that you guys are together in this, that you're not alone, right? He's, he's your buddy. You, you know, you want him to be okay. And so when you hear from him that, like he says, we just went out, what happens to you inside? What does that feel like when he says, no, we just did that last night. Why do we, what happened? Alone and invalidated. Okay. You feel alone in that spot. Okay. So even just saying that word alone, all right, what feeling comes up for you? You said invalidated alone. What's the feeling that's there? Do you have a sense of what that feeling is? Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. You're scared. Can you say a little bit more? You're scared. What are you scared of? I don't know how to deal with the situation. I feel alone. I want to turn to my best friend to get some some assurance, some reassurance, or just support. And he's not okay. there because he's busy. Because he's an idiot. Okay, I get it. I get it. So when you go to this place, like your body, you're distressed. Things are uncomfortable. You're feeling like I need him, and if. Nachum's not there to be there within this place. It goes to a pretty difficult spot of feeling alone. Seems like there's some, I hear frustration. I also like sense some sadness. Right? Is that like a, is that the feeling that's there? Yeah. Okay. Actually yeah. more rage. I want to kill him. Right. So there's a lot of anger. Like when you're feeling this pain, you want to attack, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want to kill him. You want to attack. I, I yeah. Kill the male. I want to, I want to, <laughs> if I'm getting it with that attack, you're trying him to see how much what's happening on the inside, like you're hurting and you need him and you don't know how to get his attention. Correct. Yeah, it's a hard spot, get it. And it really is because of how important he is to you as, as, your, as your friend, as your, one of your best friends, you really need him in that place. Okay. So if it's okay with you, maybe just slow it down a little bit. And if it's okay, just to, to let Menachem know like what he, what he means to you, like why, why, when you feel distressed, that he's the one that you that you turn to? Can you tell him a little bit about that place of like of needing him? When I go through a hard time, I need to sit with you. We need to spend time. I have to talk to you because you are very valuable to me. Because you you're my best friend. So if I need to count on somebody, it's you. If I don't have you, I feel very hurt and alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I understand what or, you're saying. But Nahum, I, even, before, even before you jump in, let me just let me, let me stay with let me stay with Usher a little bit longer, okay? Because I know that when he's speaking, something's happening for you, and I want to go slow with that as well. Usher, what was that like for you, right? Here you are, and this is a place you normally go to anger. This is a place you normally get, you even want to rage at him. You want to get upset. You want to attack. You want to get angry. But you slowed it. You, you took a moment, and you let him know, like, what's underneath that? That there's some pain there. That there's this fear. I think you said fear. There's this fear of being alone. And when you fear being alone, like, that's where you need him. That's where you need him most. And that's where you're most likely to go on the, that attack. Most likely to get angry with him. And what's really, it's almost like underneath that, it's a cry for help. It's a cry for for connection. Am I getting that? Am I am I am I understanding what you're saying? Yeah, but it was very scary to tell him that because I feel like if he tells me again what he's about to say, I'm going to get even more angry. Yeah, of course. Because here you are taking a risk. Here you are sharing a little bit of, of what happens in your heart, what happens on the inside underneath that anger. You're trying to tell him how important he is to you and how much you need him. And you already sense that he's going to get, he's going to get defensive, that he's going to. And so that's, this is a risk that you're taking here. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And that's probably why, I, uh, if, if I'm getting it, that's why you go to anger, because it's risky. It doesn't feel safe to share this, this, uh, 
more vulnerable part of yourself, this fear? Well, if I go more vulnerable, I'll probably be like crying and in tears and like, you know, like all right. like iffy. Right. I don't want to go there. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be alone. Especially if you're not, no one's, no one's going to see you there. Yeah. So let's come out of the role play for a second, you know, just to jump out. And you can kind of see how, I mean, I hope you kind of see how this how this goes right you saw how and menachem was great in, in jumping in there like because he wants to when he hears that about your loneliness he menachem is i don't know but he's a, if he cares about you he's already going to start to feel defensive like he's doing something wrong like he's disappointing you like he's not enough and that's where that defense is going to come from he's going to block your share because he's not hearing your need he's hearing blame if he could have signed off the, from the share he could have he would have left <laughs> yeah. 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 He, would, he was out the door he's like oh time for a minute <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so that was good that was good i'm wondering if, if it gave you a little bit of a sense of of you know how we just trying to like stay with the person and obviously it's a role play but to stay with the persons where they they get in touch with what's beneath that reactive move that they normally do from the place of pain and help them get in touch with the pain itself and the vulnerable emotions that are there and help the, and support the person in sharing. But as a therapist, as an EFT therapist, I'm very ready for Menachem's block. Like I don't expect him to take that in. As heartfelt, as heartsick as it was, as heartfelt as it was, I knew that most likely Menachem's going to block that because he's used to hearing blame. And he's not, he's used to hearing I'm getting it wrong. He's used to hearing the cycle. So if you go to a little more vulnerability, Usher, he's not hearing the vulnerabilities there. He's still hearing how he's, a, he's, he's disappointing you and he's, he's a failure and he's getting it wrong. And he's, so he's still going to block that. He's still going to defend that. And then I would just go in with him and saying, you know what, I noticed that as, as Usher sharing with you his, his pain, seems like there's some, something's happening. Tell me what's happening for you right now. And I just go with him in that block until we uncover what's beneath that block for him. And you start to get to what's really underneath this cycle where, where Usher and Menachem lose each other. And um, unfortunately, their relationship and their safety suffers. And I just want to jump into one thing. Uh, it's off tangent. I don't know why I'm jumping there, but then I want to go back. So many more questions. Somebody sent an email like, have you worked and maybe you have some examples couples that were married for many, many years, 20, 30 years, that had this whole horrible cycle of weeds and what it looked like in the beginning and how hard it was and obviously the success stories and what you've personally Rabbi Boom, yeah. put in the energy to like, I don't know if you have like something that you could. Yeah, yeah I mean, without, without getting, without getting to, you know. I, not no, saying Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Too but detailed. Like, but your Nachas story or maybe your personal story, I don't know, whatever. Well, I can share, I will share a personal story. I'd like to share a personal story just in terms of my own, my own journey. And um, I think my passion for EFT is having experienced growth in, in, in our marriage. Rifka and I are married 20 years. And, um, you know, the growth in our marriage has really been where um, we've learned how to take risks with each other. Um, We've learned how to take risks with each other, to let each other into places that previously we kept to, to ourselves. And for many years, it was those very places that um, we experienced the most pain. It's like for many times, I'm a little bit more, you described earlier, of that guy who that, that, that pursues, that he wants connection, that he wants more emotional, emotional intimacy, right? And I might, my wife is a computer scientist, okay? She's an, she's an MIT grad. She, by the way, she developed mikvacalendar.com, which is... 
an outstanding program for those who are um, for Taras and Meshpacha. So you can imagine she's a she's a real brainiac and beautifully emotional person. At the same time, um, I think I was unable to share with her, you know, seeking the emotional connection. I was a guy, and I, as much as I was trying to be seen and understood and validated, I came across as as more pushy and more and more frustrated. And when she would hear that, being sensitive to, to me as her husband, she would defend and block and feel like, and, and, and um, try and explain, or just sometimes be confused and not even know what to do. And we would lose each other. But with time and with a lot of just working and understanding, um, under, understanding ourselves and each other, we, have, we still have cycles, but, when we have a cycle, we're able to reach each other to each other and say, you know, when I got upset with you, it was really because, you know, I was I was trying to get you to to understand where I was coming from. And when I when I I, I didn't get that, I went to that place of being frustrated and I expressed that. So we still have the cycles, but the most important thing about it is that we're able to talk about it afterwards, like Dina was saying earlier, and speak about the vulnerable vulnerability that was really happening um, as we were losing each other. We revisit the cycle, okay? There's an aspect of this that I wasn't mentioned tonight that too much that I'd like to just point to, which is- Very um, the night's young. Okay, well, I, I, there's this concept called raw spots in EFT and raw spots, mean that the very places where we've experienced pain in relationships in the past, we've ex experienced emotional hurt in past relationships, those are the places we're gonna be most sensitive to our spouse. That's where the triggers are. So for me, right, I've, I think I'm a, a, I'm a pretty sensitive person and um, coming into marriage, I remember very clearly, like no, hoping that finally I'd find the person that gets me, that sees me, that understands me. I remember thinking that I was 25, right? And, but I remember thinking that that's something that I, I'd hoped to find in this marriage. And when I wasn't able to find that, not because my wife didn't wanna be there for me, but because I did not know how to make myself vulnerable to be met in that place. And I would get kind of like a, her logic or her, her, or her, her um, rational brain, it hurt and it hurt. And I felt like, I don't know how to get this. I don't know how to do this. And I would just, instead of, you know, talking about my pain, I would get angry. And um, that's where, that's where more for all of us are, are we're gonna experience our triggers is in that place where we experience the most pain. That's we where we are going to react most strongly to our spouse in the place that they are unable to meet us. So um, that's a little bit of my personal story. And just like, I want you to, everyone to know that this is, work for everybody. We all can take our relationship deeper. I don't think there's a person on this earth that cannot benefit from this process and learn more about themselves and learn more about, um, learn more about how they can reach for their partner in a way that they can be responded to. And that's something we all can take responsibility for. Okay, let's jump into a few more over here. Okay, this is an interesting question. Um, when my husband's friends are going out or doing something on a trip or something, he simply drops all our plans to hang with the boys. I feel like I'm second class. What can I do to communicate with him how this makes me feel? Hazaras this year. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about... And I, I told, let's, let's go through it. Let's, yeah, I want, for sure. Like you to actually communicate. You're the wife. Oh, you want me? 
Okay, hang on a second. So repeat the question one more time so I can play the Basically role. Basically, the wife, again, we can use any example, but the yeah. wife feels that she's not priority. She's, she is second mm -hmm. class. If her friends, it could be example friends, it could be business, it could be whatever it is, 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 comes more, up. More importance. They're more important than her. Right. So okay. how could she successfully communicate that? And if you could give us an example. Though. Yeah, for sure. So first of all, what does she normally do when she senses that threat that his that his friends are more important. Remember, we're going out tonight at eight o'clock. Don't forget, text the so seven she, tonight, so, eight she, so she nudges, she pushes, she the heck out of him. Right. So and then he would, tells his friends, I have a nudgy wife. The, first, the very first thing I should do. Right, you want to have the nudgy wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. So the first thing you'd want to do is really go in and validate her reach to him. No, right? no, first, if, you, if you could be her talking to him, laying it out on the table. If I could do her in the in the proper way of reaching for him that you're saying, right. and the, yeah, I get it, I get it. I I I, I want to make sure that it's clear that she's not doing anything wrong. I don't want to demonize anyone that is reaching for their husband, even if it's in a nudgy way. So I'm not gonna. The first thing I'd say, and kind of like a caveat, is that I'm not doing anything wrong by reaching for my husband. Uh, that's a good thing to do. But I would point out, right, I'm just saying, like. <laughs> What happens when you reach for him in that way? What does he do? What happens to him? He's like, well, he he just ignores me, or he he explains why he's why they're not more important than I'm really more important. Right? So how does that feel for you? Right. So what I would help her see is that her move, while it makes sense to reach for him in that way, it's not bringing him closer; it's pushing him away. And then I would suggest I would like plant the seed something like this. I'd even say, what would it be like if you said to him something like, hey? You know, I know your friends are important to you. You're, you're, my, you're my man. You're my most important person. And when I don't have enough time with you, I feel, I feel really alone. I feel like, and I feel I'm not that, not that important. And that's a painful feeling for me. It hurts. And it would mean so much to me if we could figure out how to, how to, to spend more time together because I need you. I need you in my life. I don't feel... I don't feel complete. I don't feel whole. I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like I, um, like I'm okay if I don't, if I don't have that, that connection. So teaching her to reach a little bit more from the place of need, which may be hard as opposed to the place of push, which masks the need. Okay. Yeah. There's a question, the question here that came in, what's if somebody, when they get anxious, and uh, these negative, you know, heavy behaviors happen. Their neg their their spouse shuts down. They're you know not available. They just can't take it's too much. Right. And you know they are in therapy, but the relationship meanwhile is getting lost. Right. Well, let me let me let me let me add a caveat to that. Is let's say for example the wife has anxiety, and because the husband's mother, whatever his PTSD from previous life, the second <laughs> she has her concern. It right away triggers him because he just can't, I, I can't deal with this. I, I've seen too much of this depression, anxiety, whatever it is, you know, you can use the examples either way, but right away, that particular media, which probably happens more often because Hashem makes it like that, yeah. the exact need to connect media, whatever you want to call it, that makes the other person completely not be able to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So A, how does the person who has that concern that they know that concern, they're talking about it, they're working on it, but she loses it. She gets, starts screaming. <laughs> that's her, you know, that's where she is. And that shuts them down like hundred miles an hour. Right. So you'd start again, if that's the cycle, 
you'd want to stay with her and like she it, help her take responsibility for that need that anxiety and that could be it could be some of that that's done in individual therapy if there's it's really coming from coming from a place of trauma but even in the place of couples therapy being with her and helping her helping her understand and, and feel what's underneath anxiety because anxiety is really again it's a secondary emotion and generally underneath that anxiety is like a real vulnerability, a fear of abandonment, a fear of being alone, a fear of like, I'm not, I'm not even, maybe I'm not even worthy of connection and helping her go into that so she can take responsibility for her feelings and reach to him in a way that is more asking for him as opposed to just spilling out. It's kind of like spilling out the anxiety on him and expecting him almost to react and respond and, 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 and be there for her. But he can't because every time her anxiety spills out in that way, like you said, Usher, it triggers an uncomfortable feeling of people that have relied upon him for too much and he wasn't sure how to be there. And the best way he dealt with all that overload of emotion is to avoid and withdraw and shut down. So in order to give her a chance of being able to get a response from him, because my belief is that he wants to be there for her. He wants to be able to respond to her pain will be helping her speak to him from a place that that is that lets him in as opposed to the reactive anxiety which he will automatically it's not like a decision that he's making he will automatically react to that anxiety with turning down the volume withdrawing and avoiding that's that's it's, it's the same type of type of process if there's an emotional expression that does not elicit a response, you have to help the person first of all by validating what that signal is about, bringing them to a place of where that's more like more about what they experience inside vulnerably, and then giving their partner a chance to respond. I think we need, to, we need to clarify a little bit of what you're saying. How much is it the therapist and how much is it the spouse? How much is it the therapist and how much is it the spouse in terms of which part? You're saying the, what you're saying to validate and to hmm. understand. Hmm. Um, sometimes it's, it can be in the therapist's room. So you're explaining what it needs. That's all the therapist. At the beginning, it's all going to be the therapist that's validating what's happening for that person and helping them take like the elevator down into a more vulnerable experience where they, they can understand themselves what they're feeling. Because you cannot share with somebody else with what you yourself do not have a clear grasp on, do not yourself don't understand. The therapist has to help the individual encounter that feeling before they can share it with their partner. The therapist is kind of like the, the reflector and then, the trans, and, and then encouraging the transmission. But the therapist has to help the, the individual become clear on what's happening inside her, what's happening inside him. They cannot do that on their own. If they could do that on their own, they wouldn't need you. <laughs> They're coming into your office because they don't have the ability to, to get in touch with what they feel. Their window of tolerance for vulnerable emotion is, is very narrow. So the therapist has to help expand that and open that and create a safe space so they can be clear on what's happening inside. Once we have clarity on what's happening inside, then there's great possibility for, if, if you want to take that risk, 
to share that with your partner, but nothing can happen until there's that, there's that basic, um, well, it's kind of that, 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 that emotional clarity and structuring. That always has to happen first. Yeah. Okay, I want to get into this question. Maybe Mrs. Huggy could jump in afterwards. It's a big question. You ready for the big one of the night? Go for it. This is the elephant in the room. Okay, when we get somebody emailed us in, when we get into a larger fight, obviously we feel extremely not connected at that time. It takes me less than 24 hours and I'm back to normal and ready to open up and feel close with my spouse again. The problem is my spouse will just ignore me sometimes for over, for over a week or two with zero connection or barely talking. I understand couples fight sometimes, but what can I do to help us reconnect our bond after a large argument? Hmm. Yeah. Penina, do you want to jump in on this one? Do you want to? Do you want to? I mean, I th we hear this a lot, right? That there'll be a fight and one person will be okay the next day and the other person will be in terrible pain over the fight, right? And the other one person doesn't want to go there and bring up the fight again. They just want to move on. But the one that's in terrible pain until their feelings are validated or they're understood for their pain, it's weighing on them. And they don't know how to express that unless they don't feel safe. He or she doesn't feel safe to share that. A lot of times people don't even know how to apologize and they don't apologize. That's a big problem. Or an like one of the things that we, we teach in EFT through, through changing the communication is that apologies are not like just sorry, but an apology is that must have made you feel. And what we, we teach them to walk in each other's shoes to really try to understand what, what pain their spouse is in from some, from their fight, from their disconnection. So we, we do teach them how to repair by repairing in the room when they're fighting in the room, you know, when we're, they're talking about it. Does that, I don't know if that answers the question, but. Well, I like, I, if I could add, you know, as I, what, I, what you're saying, Panina, is that um, if a couple is having a hard time repairing, right, they, all couples, they, they want to come back together. They need each other. So they're going to find a way to come back together enough to maintain the relationship. Um, if they can't really repair that cycle, then generally it comes about through either a, like someone giving in, right? Someone apologizing, but it, like you said, it's not like a real apology. It's just for the sake of being able to move on more together because they need the relationship so much. Okay. They really need the relationship. Um, so they kick the can down the road and they, they don't never really, the reason they're not repairing is not because they just don't know how to, they don't know how to go to what is like the, the stuff in, in, in which a repair could actually take place. So one of the most important questions that I ask is like, okay, when you guys have this cycle and you lose each other, you just told me the whole thing. I, I get it. Like what happens? How do you come back together? And in that I'll hear what, what they've learned to do to reestablish their bond just for the sake of, of being able to move on together. But it doesn't work because ultimately it sets them up for another cycle. They've never repaired it. And the cycle robs the relationship of the safety. And when the safety is robbed, it's just a matter of time. It's like, really, you're setting yourself up for the next cycle. So learning how to um, revisit a cycle is really important, but that can only happen after the cycle is understood, after some of some validation has taken place for each person as to what's happening 
beneath their moves in the cycle. And as they, that's, that, that starts to become understood, they can then start to repair. But that's a really like, that's a more advanced skill. Like Panina said, that has to happen in the office at first, um, where there's enough safety to go into the, the vulnerable feelings in which the repair can actually take place. It can happen outside of, of session early on in the process. And what happens if one spouse is not um, interested in all of this? Should one go to EFT by themselves? So if one spouse is not interested... I just want to clarify, a lot of people are texting. I want to play a lot of text people are saying, oh, my spouse doesn't want to be open about it. My spouse doesn't want to go for help. My spouse doesn't... When it's, you know what I mean? One second. You know something? Pause one second. Yeah. I'm you. Oh, thanks so Hi. much. Yeah, Hi. Thank you. Okay, so I wanted to know, yeah, what about when um, a couple goes to therapy and the spouse is totally in denial of what's going on? They just don't want to acknowledge it. Like, let's say they have an addiction or something going on in their phone with some dating apps or whatever, and they just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Casual. They're just like, no, it never happened, but you have proof and everything, but they're just like, no. And then they don't want to acknowledge the pain at home either. And there's no, like, what's the best way to go about that if they're just like not in it and like they don't want to get divorced and they're not trying to run away but they just don't want to do the work right so i think a prerequisite for any couple's process is you have two two parties that that want to work on the relationship and want to make things better you can't really you can't really start without that so you have somebody who's in such a state of of denial or avoidance that they're not willing to meet their partner and begin a process then the individual that's still wants to um, work on the relationship, would probably need to be counseled as to whether this is really something which is worth his or her efforts, right? And um, perhaps needs some, just to get some clarity for herself, you said it's her something herself, um, as to whether this is a time to let go or if it's a time to, you know, to make another type of decision but you need two people that really want to work at the relationship, at least minimally, um, that are willing to give it a try. And if there's, an, again, going back to addictions, if there's an active addiction and the person is unwilling to um, work a program and get treatment for that addiction, I, I don't think you'll have much success with couples, with couples counseling. Go to Alana. Yeah. Well, they have to take care of themselves, try yeah. to figure out where they, they are. Yeah, exactly. Here's an interesting question that came in. Generally, generally speaking, we have a pretty, um, can, we're pretty feel connected with my spouse. But once in a while, I start to feel lonely. And I would love to turn to my spouse and tell them that I just, I need some reassurance, how important I am. But I know that it's not, you know, the, the response from them is not going to be so good. They'll either laugh it off or they don't understand it. So how can I explain it or understand myself? How can I say that one more time? How can I explain it? How to explain it to the spouse or understand myself, what I need? Right. Well, it sounds like that person has a pretty good sense of what they need. I think the challenge is, is they have a partner that doesn't know how to meet him or her in that place. And... Um, you know, what I'd want to find out and understand and uncover is for the partner that doesn't, because it seems like the partner cares a lot, right? They have a pretty good relationship most of the time. So the partner is involved and engaged and wants to be responsive. 
So what makes it hard for him or for her to be to be there in those places? And it could be something as 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 really simple as like I don't have experience doing emotions. Like no one ever taught me. I don't know what to do. Like I just was taught when I'm not feeling good, just just get over it, move on, and that's what I've done. And I do that really well. I've got a great knack for that. I'm really resilient in that way. So here you are, and I love you, and you're asking me to be with you. And I just like, I don't, it's like trying to speak Chinese. I never was taught the language. So I try and avoid that because, again, like I don't, it, there's nothing more painful to be needed for something by someone you care about so much and not to have the capacity, not to feel like you have the capability to meet her there and to meet him there. It's very hard. And people that the, the spouse that has more of an emotional language and maybe more it has has been able to experience emotions um, more easily is more in tune with that cannot understand that. Like they have a very hard time understanding that his avoidance of that conversation is not because he doesn't care about her. It's because he really doesn't know what to do. So the therapist could stay with him and really get into what it feels like for him and then have him share that so that you can see it's not because you don't care about me. It's not because you don't want to be here. It's because you don't know how. And then she can, as she's more understanding of his struggle, she can be more patient with him. She can be more patient and less critical or demanding because what happens is in the cycle, most likely is that as he doesn't meet her in the place that she wants to be met, she'll activate and become critical as she becomes critical that only reinforces his fear that you see if i try <laughs> nothing good is going to come out of it and um you know you have you have unfortunately more distance than connection so as she sees him trying to come close and saying i want to be here i don't I, I it pains me to see like you and not know what to do and that's why i kind of avoid it like, really, that's what's happening for you? It becomes less threatening for her. And then she doesn't have to activate into, into attack, criticism as intensely. It becomes safer. As it becomes safer, then he's going to feel more confident that maybe he can show up a little bit. Maybe he can try and do this emotional thing that he has emotions. We all have emotions. He's just never been given permission. And as he has success with his emotions, he's going to want to start to meet her. He's, his attachment style is not going to change. Attachment styles don't really change completely. They just become more flexible. Right? We can meet each other in, in places that were previously off, off, off limits just because we didn't have the, the capacity. We were never taught it. He's saying that they should do it in the therapist's room. Yeah, they have to start. Yeah, you want to start with that. Yeah, otherwise, the cycle, this all revolves around safety, Menachem. There's no way to, to have these conversations unless there's somebody that can Make it safe enough to go into what you're really feeling before you do the very thing that will trigger your partner. I feel like people are listening tonight and they say, okay, no, I know exactly what to say. And they're going to go to their spouse right. and you say, okay, this is what I learned. This is what we got to do. And yeah. <laughs> right. It's that could be, and that could be, that's unfortunately it what make happens. It worse. Yeah. It could make it worse because what people don't realize is that what's most communication does not take place in words. It takes place in tone, in facial gestures. It takes place in emotion. People, you know, Panina can, can, you know, chime in here, but 
pretty much every single couple that comes into the office, what's the presenting issue? Communication, always communication, always communication issues. It's not about communication. It's about emotional safety. Because there's no emotional safety, you can't communicate. When there's emotional safety, then you can connect and communication flows naturally. Think about the people you feel safe with. You have any problem communicating? People that you feel like they get you and you feel like, you know, we're, 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 we're good together. There's no problem communicating. So that's the real issue. Really, the real issue is that, that, that unfortunately, because of this negative cycle, emotional safety has left the room. And now the therapist has to do the, the, the work of, of setting it up so that that safety can be there and communication and connection can take place. Robert Bloom, a good friend of mine wants to ask a question. You're on. Hi. Um, we went to school together like 21 years ago, just <laughs> hey throwing there. that out there. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so Baruch Hashem, I got remarried like uh, two months ago. Mazel tov. Thank you. And uh, so what, the thing that like became uh, apparent last time that uh, for sure to know that it was over was that um, I didn't identify, like I didn't, I didn't identify with her anymore. Like I didn't know who this person was anymore. So I'm just wondering, I was, I was interesting and in actually EFT and also it relates to, as it relates to the Baal Shem Tov about how water reflects uh, like a person's face man to man. So you're like, you're seeing your, the mirror reflection of yourself. And, and also I was interested <laughs> in a, a different attachment theories. And I'm just wondering like how much does um, identifying and getting the other person play, play in turn into that, like in terms of um, keeping that open communication, uh, keeping that dialogue, being emotionally vulnerable. How, how does, how much does, uh, getting and identifying with the other person. How how much does that play when into you, it? W- tell me more when you say identifying. What does that mean? You didn't, fi- you didn't identify with her anymore. Is that okay if I ask? I mean, it, just understand a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, there were there was just like manifest um, vast differences in uh, religiosity and just uh, hashkafa. Right. And so it really uh, just I guess just our 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 outlook just became so vastly different. Okay. So when you say that your, your outlook becomes so vastly, so vastly different, it was like, you know, on an emotional level for you, you know, on, for, on an emotional level, like it, it, what did you start to feel about her just in terms of like your connection and your, yeah. you know, what did you start to feel? Yeah, it just, she seemed to be like, like a stranger. Okay. really at a certain point okay. and so now that you know here i am you know and you know working to make sure to, to get everything right this time yeah. um it's a consideration and i just want to make sure not to uh you know to just to keep those lines all open and it's also a this this time around it's also a long distance for the next few years mm-hmm. uh so that's also um just making sure that we uh find ways to connect even if we're you know right now on opposite sides of the coast so right right right. you know right well you know when when people have such vastly they start to drift in different directions okay there there are there are situations where um it's no longer i can no longer um share myself with you 
it feels like it's it's because the things that are most important to us they 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 don't they don't jive they don't and um then everything is going to break down from that from that standpoint right if if i feel that you're so different and maybe you're even i don't know if it was derogatory or dismissive of the things that i'm passionate about then the person that you need to, to be there for you becomes an ongoing source of hurt and pain because if you don't get the things that that are most important to me and they're not important to you and you you know then that's that's hard that's a really hard spot um some couples can navigate that where they allow that that you're different than me but i still appreciate you for who you are and accept and value you who for you you are even though you have very different outlooks that's possible but it's that's challenging it's really challenging especially when you're raising children and you want to you want to give over a certain way of life um so when you're talking about religiosity, we're talking about spirituality, that, that can be very difficult to navigate. Um, and I think what having those things in place is a great, it's a great stepping stone to being able to, 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 to connect on an emotional level. And when those things are not in place, I think connecting on an emotional level is gonna be more challenging, although it's possible. If a couple learns to really how to talk about who they are and share that with the other person, and they, they have a, an accepting and, and, and a validating partner, it's possible, I, I, but it could be very challenging. Okay, this is another question that came in. Just to figure out what's a healthy relationship in regards of sharing. You know, many people feel that they should share everything with their spouse. And some people are not, or they're just not. There are things that they don't. And is there something wrong if one of the, you know, one of them knows things or does not feel comfortable sharing with their spouse? Does that mean that they need to work on their relationship? Or sometimes, I guess, personality, yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. Different people come into a relationship with different needs for closeness and emotional intimacy. And that's not a problem. That's just human beings. People, people have different needs in that area. The question is, if does, does, that, does that tear them apart, right? Is, is she able to accept that he, and just using as an example, and I, I don't like to generalize too much, but I have to, um, is, is it okay that he is, doesn't have as deep of an emotional need as I do? Right? But he does his best to meet me here. He does his best to, to be there for me. Right? And maybe I'm going to have to have some of that deeper emotional, um, that, 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 deep, that, that deep emotional resonance with somebody else. My husband might not be able to get me there. It might be with a best friend. Okay? Um, but the main question is, is, do I experience his inability as a threat? Is it a danger signal? Or is it, do I understand that he's trying but he hasn't learned this, or he doesn't do this, or this is just not something that, that, that is alive for him as it is for me. Can I accept that? And can I value the effort that he makes to meet me in a place that I know is not his home, right? Because of how important I am to him. So the different, emotion, the different emotional needs are not the problem. The question is if we interpret those different emotional needs as a threat, or as, as um, 
as understanding, a way of compassion, a way of understanding. That makes all the difference. And then people learn how to navigate all these discussions, everything from that to religion to raising children, right? all these things can be potentially navigated. Some topics are more difficult than others and more and more triggering than others, but it's, um, it's doable. If there's safety and there's trust, then people can work through pretty much anything. And that's why from this approach, we don't solve people's problems. There's no, I, I believe that every client that comes to see me is intelligent enough they're both very intelligent people. They can work this out. That's not the problem. They don't need some genius on some expert to come and fix this. They just need to see where they're unable to connect and communicate in a, in, in a way that they get each other. And if we can make that happen, they'll figure out a solution. There's like tons of options. There's tons of possibilities that I would never even be able to think of, but they can make that happen um, together as a couple and that's that's the most strength if you need to rely upon an expert to answer every question for you um it's your relationship is not going to improve you're not going to to, to enter the space that you really want to together and it's just not effective it's not really what uh i don't think it's true to what's at stake so what happens if one feels they share everything and they and the other one doesn't and they do feel a little bit um the connection is not the way they would want it to be Right. So, you'd, you know, you'd want to, the first place you would start is what might be getting in the way of it being better. What might be happening where as they try and enter that space together, what happens, right? And that's the first place you would start. You'd always want to see as you try and talk about X, how does that go? What happens? So he doesn't want to bring it up. He doesn't want to bring up certain topics. Right. So that's where you would start. You'd meet them right there. So, so, okay, so this top, let's say it's finances. So you really don't want to talk finances. Tell me about that. What is it? What's it about finances? I said, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to even talk about it right now. There's something really here that doesn't like, it's just not comfortable for you. There's something about finances that, that like, you just don't want to go there. Like, yeah, it's, and and she wants to talk about that. And what's that like for you that she always wants to talk about it and it's totally uncomfortable for you. And he'd say something like, it's really frustrating because she doesn't listen that I don't want to talk about it. And said, so you go with that. You say, okay, so tell me more about the frustration. It's really frustrating. And you just go into wherever, wherever they, 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 whatever they give back, you just go into and validate and reflect that feeling. And eventually as people are seen and understood they, you just start to take the elevator down. You start to take the elevator down into the experience and get a little bit more than what shows up in that cycle where she wants to talk about finances and he doesn't and finished, right? Start to get a little bit of a foothold as to what really happens inside him every time finances come up. He has good reasons for not wanting to talk about finances. He has good reasons. I don't know what they are, but he, he, he blocks that conversation because there's, there's something difficult and uncomfortable there for him. And he may not know what it is. He may not know how to talk about it. No one had, may have ever even been curious about what that is. And here's a, here's a guy, who, what, he's curious about this. And like his first response is like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's just finances. It makes me uncomfortable. Like, yeah, it's hard. And then she wants to talk about it. And so you really have to be patient. There's a lot of patience. You really have to stay with people and let things 
and let things develop. You're not in a rush. I trust that your reason for not talking about finances is, is valid. And I just want to understand a little bit more. Maybe you can help me a little bit more. And once it becomes safe enough, Menachem, for them, like they feel like you really just are genuinely curious. People actually, they, it's like, they might take that. They might take that. They might take that option and share that with you. And then you've got something going. Then you can, then you take that and you work it. Right? You work that right in. So, you know, whatever people show up with, the, the approach that, that we try and take is, is you've got good reasons for not wanting to talk about that. You've got good reasons for that and you stay with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's, let's, get to, let's get to two more questions I want to get to tonight. I know it's late and I have one more live one. Um, okay, let's get to this one first. Very interesting question. Uh, I've been very successful in my personal business the last few years. I have almost 100 employees and do a lot of community chesed stuff. I don't feel for my wife any sharing of my joy's success, even when I get fearful or something about my business. It's like these parts of my life, I don't have any connection with her, even though our marriage and our children, we are very close. Basically, certain parts of his, whether it could be, again, we're going to generalize it, right? Certain parts yeah. of his life where he wants her to be part of it. Look, look what I built up. Look how successful I am. Whatever. Mm-hmm. She, he wants her in it. She's like, okay, very nice. Let's talk about Chalm. There's no pulling her in. Or you could do the other way. You know, the woman is taking care of all the kids and she feels she's such an amazing mother. And then she's turning mm-hmm. to him for that. She wants him to be part of that. He's like, oh, you're great. Amazing. Let's, let's, you know. So when you have a part where you will, you do have communication, you do have everything good, but you want to bring them into a specific, specific sub-circle and they're not coming in there. Right. It's the same question. And I hate to feel like a broken... By the way, I, don't, I, 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 I hate every to have... Question, every question has the same answer. We're just explaining it again and again. I hate to have the broken record. Like, you know, again, here you are. You want, that you want your, your wife to be part of this experience. You want her to take, to take part in your life and to take pride and to, and to meet you here as you, in the place that you feel successful, right? That makes great sense that you, that you want that, right? Tell me what, that, what, is, what would that mean to you to have her take pride in that? Well, I mean, everything. She's the most important person to me. And what's it like for you when she doesn't? You just take, you start going, you go into the feelings, you go down and take, start to take elevator down. And as, as you get to a vulnerable enough place, then I would ask him to, to share that with her. And I would wait for the block. The block's going to show itself. Okay. And as soon as the block comes up, she'd be like, you know, he's going to say something like, you know, I just, you're so important to me. And I really want you to be part of my, my life more and take pride in me. Now, if she goes and she's like, wow, I never knew that. If she takes that, that vulnerability, okay, then now, now we're moving. But most likely what's going to happen is she's going to, she's going to, I'm expecting a block. And as she blocks and says, well, you don't take pride in my, in, in what I do and how hard I work. I don't ever hear anything from you. And I would just go with that. I would just go with that. Okay. So you're, when you hear him needing you, I guess what I'm hearing is what comes up for you is you start to feel the, your own pain of him not seeming interested in your life. What's that like for you? And so she's showing me her block. She's showing me why it's hard for her to meet him in that place. And I would take the elevator down with her and organize that experience and then have her share that with him and just keep on working in that process and, and trying to, to, to deepen the conversation, have them have the conversation that they normally have, but now on a deeper level. And hopefully the having it on a deeper level, given that there's more vulnerability in the room, they'll feel more connected in it 
and also understand what happens for each of them, why this is so hard to have outside of the office, like what, what, where they miss each other. Okay, let's do one more, the last live of the night. Shifra will be the last live, and then we'll have one more question, and then we'll start the closing process. Go. Thank you so much. <clears throat> this has been very fascinating, and I appreciate it. Um, I was trained in CBT as an eminent leader, and I worked with women, from women, and many, many of them, as I helped them, it helped the relationship with their spouse. I spoke to the husbands to reinforce some of the stuff that the wives had worked on, and they were vulnerable, and it was very nice to see very, very nice results. Baruch Hashem. It's wonderful. I'm a teacher, and I was thinking about, I, I was thinking I'm holding the future kids that are going to be husbands, you know, I'm holding the sort of hand, so to speak, their hands. I teach them. I work one-on-one -on -one with them. They're usually learning, slightly learning um, difficulties and things like that. Yeah. So what I what I what I did was I tried to bring in the work that I've done in Emmet and with adults, with the kids and boys especially. They close off because they've got to be macho. And when they're young, when I have them, they are such a pleasure. But mm -hmm. I, as I get older, they close off. Yeah. Oh, and I don't want to be stereotypical, but it's mostly the men that are more you know closed yeah. off, not sure. wanting to talk so much. So I. When they have a problem, I really saw it as such a great opportunity. I feel literally like I'm reaching out to 20 years or 15 years from now, and I'm helping them when they're married. Yeah. And if that makes sense to you, because interestingly enough, so I've helped them work through their hard times. They'd come into the room and they'd be mad, angry, and eventually they would cry. It takes a lot for some of them. And, um, and, and I help work it through, I would, Whatever it was, I would guide them. And what I noticed was that when the boys left the early classes from one to four, kindergarten to four, they would be with the big guys upstairs, they're men already. And I noticed they come down to my room, say, hi, sit down and cheer and talk to me. So I really feel like it, it's just so exciting for me when I see something that we could do as prevention. Does it make sense that when they have those good experiences of being vulnerable, that it really will help them for the future. Oh, 100%. You're giving them, Shifra, you're giving them such a gift because all of us want to be met in our, in, in our experience. And you're right that unfortunately men in many ways are socialized out of their experience and they're taught that you know, their, their, their main job is to perform and to make and to, and to do. And what they feel is not that important. Um, and so giving them the opportunity to be seen and to be understood, then they're going to be much more prepared, much more ready, having had that, that, that interaction to meet their wives in that place, right? For it to be safer for them to try and share their experience and not feel like I'm only as valuable as how much I perform, how much I make, or how successful I am, which is unfortunately where many men find their value. And when their wives need more than them than just that, that's where all these feelings come up of, of frustration and disappointment in themselves and in like, and they don't know what to do with and they just withdraw from the relationship. So you're actually giving them an opening that when they start to feel that hurt in relationship to their wife, like they're, maybe they're like, you know, they have another option. They, have, they can talk about it and say, you know, I'm, I'm trying so hard and, you know, I, I feel, when, when, um, 
you know, you, you say, you say that to me, it, it, it hurts, right? You can, they can actually give her an entrance into him. And now you have a relationship. She's going to, she's going to need that. She's going to, desire that like the most precious precious gems because that's what she's looking for that somebody is real in the relationship that he can he gets her and she's able to get him and they can connect in that place but what we all need is a little bit of success mm-hmm. it's like you're giving that for that first that first time that first ima that of of success that they know it can happen it is possible and so many men, they enter a relationship never having even had one experience like that in their life. And the first time they actually share anything emotionally vulnerable could be in the office with me. They've never had anybody take interest. They've never had anybody meet them in what their inner experiences is like. And most of the time when I try and go into there, the first answer I get is, I don't know. I don't know what I feel. I don't, I don't know. Like, okay, let's see. Yeah. And um, just being able to have that first little bit of success gives them such a, it's like, it, it creates a template. It creates a possibility. So 100% and it's really, really valuable. Thank you so much. Cause yeah. I, I've put so much time into it. It's, it's my own time, nothing to do with the academics that I teach them. But to me, it's like, this is gonna be so important for the future life. Who cares if I teach them to read and math? I, I can't, I shouldn't say this as a teacher, but really. Right. This is more important in many ways. But yeah. I feel like my question was that usually the attachment style comes from home and early childhood, you know, yeah. early parenting. But I was wondering if myself as a teacher, mm-hmm. not a parent, not a family member, can I really provide that? I feel that I, I feel that it has happened because I watched the fifth and sixth grade boys coming down to me and they usually will cry and yeah. I know what that means. And I, yeah. you know, yeah. I also want to say an amazing shout out to the men that I've worked with. I don't work with men. I work with women, yeah. but I've spoken to the husbands to reinforce the work that I've done with the wives when mm-hmm. they were vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I say I've had such good experiences, Hasidish men, yeah. all different range of men that really generally don't speak to women. Yeah. This what you're talking about years ago. Now already it's more common. And I would say to them, when you do something nice for your wife and you're going to say the right things to her, she's probably going to cry more than when you started the conversation. Don't be scared. Right, right. And uh, what's his name? I forgot his name. A man from Mars, woman from Venus. Yeah, John Gray. Yeah. He's such an important side. A woman is like a well. She's like a bucket that goes deep into the well. She has to get all the way to the bottom in order to start rising. Mm. So she is going to emote more or she's going to be more vul- more upset. You are a, an amazing success. I had to tell them over and over again to say, don't stop there. Like a lot of men will say, forget it. I'm never going to do this again. She started crying more. Right. Don't stop there. You, right. you, you should know that you are so successful now because these women can now get to the bottom they're going to come back up and guess what you won't have silent treatment for the next two weeks either <laughs> right yeah just let's, think, let's, I mean, try, let's try i'm gonna to try to jump into one last question sure. and then we're gonna to go to closing okay yeah go ahead. okay thank you shifra yeah let's jump into this last one i want to do it quickly i just want to get into this one thing before we go to the end before we go to closing basically you know emotional risks 
people that are listening here tonight or people that want to open up, whether it's a dark secret or not. It's a question that came in, but we could just really globalize it. So the woman that wrote in, basically she's been very depressed lately and she even went to a psychiatric to get some medicine to help her feel more functional, but she doesn't feel safe enough to discuss with her spouse. She's not ready to take that emotional risk with him. So the question is really how to, what to do and how to do it, but let's just globalize it, whether somebody's watching tonight or watch this later and wants to open up to their spouse. For the, if they have a relationship, they want to open up about something hurtful or painful. How do they go about it? What should they do? What should be the first step? So I feel like, you know, in many ways we've touched on this and maybe I'll just jump off of what Schiffer was saying is that when people are given permission with somebody that they, they trust will be there for them, they want, they want it. They don't, you don't have to force it. Trying to force vulnerability will get the very opposite reaction than, than is desired. That's what's unfortunately happens in many relationships. And in, in, in one of the partners desire for more, right? They like almost like they overwhelm their husband or their wife and overwhelm their partner with that need. And that makes it riskier for him to, or for her to be, to be present. But when somebody's given permission, when it's safe enough to share, when then it, it comes, it, it comes naturally, it comes, it will, it, it, it flows. So again, the question would be, what is blocking the, the, the this, the, the openness that you want to experience in this relationship. What, make, what about him or what about her makes it unsafe for you right now? What happens when you've tried to share in the past? And as, she's, as, she, as he or she would describe that, and you just, that's, where you, that's where you start, right? You start in that place of, okay, so when you've tried to share before, it seemed like you didn't care. Uh-huh, okay. So what, what, what's that like for you? And, and then you start that and then you go to the other side and you say, so when she's, when she shares, what happens for you? What, what's happening on the inside? And you'd, you'd have to work the process in the same way, same way, Usher. There's no difference. It's all, it's, you can't force vulnerability. It just needs the proper environment to, to a safe environment to grow and to be expressed. And when that exists, like Schiffer was saying, People won't stop talking. People, people will want to like, they become like, you know, they just, I've had some withdrawers, some male withdrawers in therapy, Usher, that like at the beginning of the process, you couldn't get anything out of them. Six months in, you can't get them to stop talking about emotions, about what they feel. It's like, finally, they're given permission and they have, they developed this language, developed this confidence. And now they don't want to stop because it feels good to be seen, to be known, and to be understood. And we all crave that. We all want that. We just needed to be safe enough to make to, to, to take that risk. Beautiful. Okay, let's go to closing. Reverend Bloom, it was amazing tonight. And I, I would like the closing if that's okay. I, I just thought about it now. I'm sorry for putting up the gun. Obviously, I'll go first. Menachem, if Mrs. Flo could give us an example of what you've seen from a couple that you've worked with in your, you know, in your you know, Hassan Kala circle, and then Rabbi Bloom will leave the closing for you. But uh, let's get to let's get to that now. First of all, get a Gershus Shkoyach, Rabbi Leza Bloom, if Mrs. Plinia Flug for coming on tonight and giving so much chizik, deep advice, and just really, um, I'm going to say it. It was a little bit re repetitive because we're really just trying to bring out one very clear point. Like Rabbi Bloom said, you know, it's it's the same answer. It's about obviously you have to learn the skills how to be vulnerable and take that chance. And if you need that guidance, definitely do it. But well, what does it bring up? What does it bring up for you when it's repetitive? 
brings up that me and you need to go for a lot of therapy together to work it out. <laughs> Again, the grace of coming on and Hashem for all the people that were here tonight, Hashem and the thousands, thousands of people that watch it. Should be a for everybody that coming on, you, Rabbi Blue, and this vlog. And definitely, it's, it's, it's a deep topic and we should definitely go back into it and really get into it. Again, I want to just repeat the gematria tonight, how amazing the gematria is tonight, because I love it, because the gematria sometimes are so amazing. Hold on, where is it? So again, we came out with the gematria tonight, share 95, is a hava belave gila, love with an open heart. Mm. I think that's really uh, fits perfect for 95. Yeah, so again, if anybody wants to join our WhatsApp chats, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Send my number on your phone, and every Sunday I will send you out the flyer, and please post it around, let people know about it. And um, go to menachembarafel.com, you can sign up for his email, and every Sunday I get the emails. And again, for everybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 on this Zoom ID, we have unbelievable shirim and uh, speeches from different rabbanim and therapists. Next Sunday, we're going to have Matis Miller, at Lakewood, here, uh, Lake, a therapist here from Lakewood, March 20th on Sunday. We'll be really getting into the crux of personality, uh, borderline personality disorder, understanding it, and trying to heal together. It's a very, it's going to be a very deep and powerful program. We had a meeting Menachem with him, and um, I think it's going to be something special. And again, for anybody um, who could help Menachem on his mission, for spreading the shirim and these knowledges of the Shir 95. So you can imagine how many thousands of hours we have already. We're putting it in, transcribing it into books. Uh, please, Menachem, send out the link where people could uh, help be part of it and help it get, get it going. Um, again, everything's recorded, Menachem, and it's going to be on menachembarifal.com tomorrow. If anybody has any questions for Menachem, please email coachmenachemajima.com. And uh, tonight's share is share number 94, and it's all recorded. Share number 95. 95. 95, and it's, it's all recorded. Like I mentioned, you can call our phone number tomorrow at 848-777-GROW to hear it on the phone. Again, a special thank you to our advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop, probably Anif Chazak, Kyla Kaufman, Shmuel Summer from JCN. And um, before we go to closing, I would like Rabbi Elaz Bloom to please give any contact information that you want people to know. And again, Mrs. Flug, you can repeat yours as well. And then we'll go to Menachem. Mrs. Flug, yeah. I want to talk to all of you. Okay. Did you want me to answer that question or no? Yes. How do you how well, somebody hold of you? Oh, okay. I thought you wanted me to say something else. About... No, we're up to the closing. After Manasseh. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, Panina at PaninaFlugLCSW.com. That's P-N-I-N-A, right? P-E-N-I-N-A-F-L-U-G-L-C-S-W.com. Okay, Rabbi Bloom, how does somebody, if they want to get in touch with you, how would they got, contact you? Best way to go to my website, um, elazarbloom.com. My name, E-L-A-Z-A-R-B-L-O-O-M.com is the best starting place for all my information. Okay, beautiful. So again, everybody, people texting out there to share. This is how you get a hold of them if you want to you know, touch with them. Again, I want to thank you both for coming on. I felt tonight was Our very pleasure. clear. Yeah. I felt it was a beautiful discussion. I felt it was very um, just meaningful. It was really meaningful. And everybody should take it from here, what they could take from here and take it to the next level. Coach Menachem, give your closing. Yeah, thank you. I want to thank Rabbi Bloom and Mrs. Fluke for coming on tonight. And yes, it was repetitive. And I believe that sometimes that's exactly what's needed. <clears throat> um, I would just mention what uh, Victor Frankl says. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And very few people are familiar with that space because right away when something happens, or a thought comes up, or somebody says something, you need to answer, or you need a solution right away. But tonight, I believe we've opened a little bit that space of 
just sitting there. And I, <clears throat> I feel, you know, when we did the role play with Usher, I think many people were, would, if they're, if you let them talk, they would scream, Rabbi Bloom, okay, we get it. We know exactly what's bothering him. No, go mm -hmm. on. No, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. We're just trying to sit and understand what's, what, com what, what comes up. And mm -hmm. that is the space. What we're going to do about it, we'll see soon. No, 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 no. Now, take a deep breath. <laughs> I, let's understand what's going on. So, like you said, come down and calm down and let's talk about it and see what, what you feel. So, I think tonight we've opened that space, which, which is very much needed in mm -hmm. any relationship and with ourselves too. And like you mentioned, with Hashem, which there's a lot to talk about. So, thank you very much. And, but yeah, I, I'm sure there are people out there who, think maybe in my situation it would not work mm -hmm. and you've gone through who knows what and we're not judging here but it, it's it's work mm -hmm. a lot of work so thank you very much for being here tonight and everybody should be able to take whatever they need for them to grow and take it to the next level plug i would like you to please leave everybody here tonight with your mission and what you're trying to accomplish and some story about you know, something that you've seen that makes you feel that this is such an important thing that everybody should be aware of. Okay. The la Okay, so we talked about like emergency EFT, right? You talked about a few cases that needed emergency EFT. And then you talked about a few cases where there was a little bit of disconnection or the husband felt like his wife wasn't validating, wasn't interested in hearing about work, right? So the minor cases, if they don't get a little help, will turn into the the that will turn into emergency. So what I'm trying to do in premarital is explain that marriage is every great marriage takes a great amount of work. So if there's a little trouble, get help. It's a strength to get help, right? Your marriage will grow. And if there's like the examples that you gave um, about, okay, the, the husband whose wife didn't want to hear about work. So we teach in premarital education that one of the things we teach is that the art of listening doesn't come naturally. We teach people how to listen. If your husband comes home from work, you say, how was your day? And you also say, well, what did you do today? Oh, you show, you show that you care. You show that you want to know more. So we teach how to listen. And then we also talk about rituals for connection for that. You talked about a um, Menachem about couples that didn't feel connected. Right. We talk a lot about how to create connection how to spend time to each other, what kind of conversations to have. So there's a lot of hope. And I just hope that more couples will learn about how to have a healthy marriage before they get married or well, soon well, after. I have marriage. one last question for you, ready? So when you do the chasana, which I just made a chasana, so they, they, you know, you have to do the flowers, you have to do the tables and you have to do the gowns and you have to do chasen kala classes. Why is this not a standard with every marriage? That's a good question. It should be, right? It really should be. And a, one way that parents can get their kids to do this is parents can go for marriage enhancement classes, right? To show your kids that your marriage is, your most, is so important for your family to have a healthy marriage and you're going for marriage enhancement because you just learned about premarital education, which is the same thing as marriage enhancement classes. So if parents will do it, then hopefully the kids will want to do it. I mean, I think... I, you know, I think it's as a parent, this is like number one on the checklist for engagement, teach your kids how to communicate with their spouse, how to have the, set them up for the best possible marriage.
Okay, thank you so much, Mrs. Flug. Rabbi Lezer Bloom, again, thank you so much for coming on. My Please pleasure. leave us with a knockout punch. I'm ready. I'm waiting. A knockout punch. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, quite, that's quite the expectation. Um, I'm communicating it with you very clearly. So I just, I just want to say that um, the place, if you're in a place where you're feeling distress and you're feeling helpless and you're feeling hopeless, right? There's two ways to look at that place in your relationship. Either it means things are over and it's helpless and it's really like, you know, separate and et cetera, or actually your relationship is calling you to more. It's like, this is the point. This is the place where it's not working. You've hit a wall. All the things that you've known how to do and you've tried to do, it hasn't worked enough and you're still both feeling alone and you're feeling like you don't have the relationship that you want. Maybe that's just a sign that it's ready to go to a deeper level, that it needs to go to a deeper level, that you're both longing for more. And to not think, God forbid, that there's anything wrong with either of you or with your relationship. This is exactly how Hashem set it up. Hashem set it up. It's a mitzvah. This is creating a dwelling place for Hashem in this physical world, specifically through our marriages. And with such a great calling, there's going to be a lot of a lot of opportunity to do work to make that happen so don't shy away from it don't feel like there's anything that you're that you're lacking as a human being or as a couple but just respond to the call of your relationship and bring it to that place that you've always longed for and that's my bracha for myself and my marriage for for you gentlemen for mrs flug for everybody that's on this call that we should always see the distress as a sign of needing more, wanting more, and having the courage to take it to that place, the humility to take it to that place. And Hashem should help and give us the bracha that it should be successful. Amen. Thank you. Everybody have an amazing Purim. See you next Sunday with Matas Miller. Same time, same place. It's a better gematria. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thanks, Sasha. Thanks, Menachem. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.